1: I mean, of course, everybody thinks they do, and everybody has an inside source that's given them information of what's going to be done. But I think as you all know, just look at the mock drafts and tell me how accurate they are after the draft. You don't, w- nobody knows. nobody's given out information. I just I always love to read the reports that the Colts love this guy and they love this guy, and they're dialed in on this guy. Like, who'd that come from? It didn't come from It didn't come from me. I mean, who's it coming from? Like, who's fight, who's telling them who we love and who we don't love? Like, they don't know.
2: Oh, what's going on, everybody? Welcome in here. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. You know, I think, Jimmy, when Chris Ballard is done being an NFL GM, I think that he is going to be a guy who calls into sports radio shows maybe every other day. <laughs> and it's just like, why do you guys think it's this way and that way? He strikes me as a a crazed sports radio caller. Do you get that vibe from him? <laughs> uh,
3: I, I don't know if I'd go that far. I definitely think that whenever he's let go, he will, he will be a go-to uh, guest across uh, not just, I'm sure, this station, but across some of the national perspective of how front offices are run. But uh, I, I get where you're coming from with the tone. It's definitely, oh, these guys don't know anything. Yeah. What's everybody talking about? From that standpoint, yes, I I definitely see the similarities. But uh, someone tells me when you get out of that game, Brian, you're not trying to to jump back in uh, (laughs) via
2: the talk radio airways. (laughs) I I hope, and I got to be careful how I say this, I, I hope that he doesn't, just for his sanity, I hope he's not a sports radio listener right now. I've never said that before in my life, but just based on, this isn't the only snippet I've gotten from him. We've heard this for years. We heard it at the Combine. We've heard it On and on and on with Chris Ballard, like, oh, yeah, these reports and this guy knows where this guy's going and nobody knows anything. Like if he's listening to sports radio, I picture him driving around Indy, just like banging his steering (laughs) wheel. Like, what are these guys talking about over here? I think he'd be better off not listening at this stage of his life.
3: If I am wanting to get a pulse for what the city is talking about or what's happening at the fan. And I'm Chris Ballard. I'm, I'm assigning somebody else to do that job. I completely agree <laughs> with you that the internship program involves listening to see what the latest is uh, from the fan, but that's not something you can bring upon yourself.
2: Okay, Too Jimmy. So first show of the week, and I'd like to start off on a positive note here, but I can't, I have got, <laughs> I've got Jimmy. You're, you have this choice to make. Oh, I've man. got bad news. And I've got more bad news. Actually, it's like bad news and like awful news. Sure, which would you prefer let's first? Get,
3: let's rip the Band-Aid off, baby. Let's go awful news. What do you got? Awful for me?
2: news. Okay, we'll go with awful news first. I'm looking at the odds <laughs> via sports books here the across the landscape. I'm proud of myself. We'll hone in on. Uh, it's not that. It's not uh, oh, a okay. LeBron here. No no! We're no, we're looking at the NFL draft. No, no, I know. I took the under. I, I know exactly where we're going. But go Wait ahead. a minute. Wait. Hold on. So you told the good people of Indianapolis, <laughs> take no. the over 28-and-a-half for LeBron James in Game 3. You even told Dylan Brooks, Yeah, Dylan Brooks is poking the bear, sure. calling him old. Take the over 28-and-a-half. And then you went 180. You went 180 and took the under no, yourself. No, no, no,
3: no, 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 You're misunderstanding me. To clarify, I knew we were going to get to that point. What I'm saying is I took the under of what topic you were going to lead the show off or how long into the show we would take before we get to the topic you are about oh. to bring up, which is the NFL draft. No, I took the over. It's a tough L. I apologize to the city of Indianapolis. I apologize to Kevin Bowen and anybody else that went along.
2: Hey, hey I would like to... Uh, I will redeem, but I, I apologize. I'd like to go rogue on you from time to time. Sure. You know, keep you guessing, on that feet. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I can't start off in Indianapolis. Talking about how the Knicks are hard-nosed <laughs> grinders and the Clippers are load management softies over. The- you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I can't start off in indie talking about that. We can get to that later of in course. the show. Of course. But when it ties straight into the heart of Indianapolis, huh? And it's the Colts. We gotta start with that. Yep. So here's the awful news. Mm-hmm. According to DraftKings Sportsbook, here are the odds. We'll go to the number three overall pick, okay? It'll make sense in a second. We'll weave our way to the bad news with the number two overall odds. This is the awful news with the number three overall odds. The favorite would be C.J. Stroud. He's at plus 230. So anytime you hear any of these plus numbers, it's just if you risk $100, you would win this amount. So C.J. Stroud is plus 230. If you risk $100, you would win $230. He has the best odds to be the third overall pick. What does this mean, Jimmy? Well, it means that a team would move up to get him number three overall because the Arizona Cardinals aren't taking a quarterback at number three. This implies that a team maybe named the Colts is not only getting CJ Stroud, which would be an epic mistake, it would be them <laughs> trading up to get CJ Stroud, who would be an epic mistake, Cliff's notes version, because he wouldn't be surrounded by half the talent in the NFL initially that he's enjoyed at the Ohio State. That would be a disaster.
3: Okay, I totally disagree with you on multiple points in terms of it being a disaster. I will admit to you that I'm in the boat now where I don't think realistically the Colts are going to trade up, so I don't buy that half of the equation. Like, Chris Bauer can say whatever he wants about it, nobody knows what they're talking about. If you're reading what he said, it would very much surprise me left the offers way too good for them to go up and move to three. But let's say they do for the sake of what the odds are saying right now. Regardless of which quarterback you take, and I know CJ Stroud is not viewed about as the second coming of Trevor Lawrence or Peyton Manning. or Andrew. I understand he is not a surefire, guaranteed quarterback of the future like some of these other mock drafts have held. But much like any of those other quarterbacks, yes, likely none of them are going to be playing with the same level of talent that they have at their respective college. Yeah. Is C.J. Stroud maybe the more extreme. Yes, I'm willing to give yeah. you that. But oh, yeah. but it's not to say I, he's going to completely struggle oh, and oh, not be able to make it because oh. he doesn't have those weapons.
2: Oh, okay. Now, here's a couple of things. Sure, here. go ahead. Let's, let's compare the talent disparity to Will the Thrill Levis night and day. Let's compare the talent disparity to Anthony Richardson at Florida sure. night and day sure. with C.J. Stroud. Even, and this sounds like hot take-ish, it's not. Compare the level of 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 skill players around Bryce Young this past year compared to what C.J. Stroud enjoyed night and day. Not even close. Like, uh, Bryce Young's leading receiver in terms of catches last season was a running back, Jameer Gibbs. Like, C.J. Stroud, if you said, all right, your weapons outside aren't good enough, you're going to have to dump it down to your running back. He's going to be your leading receiver. He'd be like, what? What? He's died and gone to hell. Are you kidding me? Like He's not used (laughs) to that at all. So in terms of supporting cast with the top four guys this past season, it's Stroud by miles compared to the other guys. So it's not the same thing. Okay, hear me out for a second, though.
3: And again, I don't want to bring this comparison in because I need to specify it right away. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying he is the same quarterback as the name I'm about to mention. But what we're doing with this exercise, Uh and there's no guarantee he pans out, but what we're doing with this exercise is, let's say, for the sake of argument, you were a detractor of Trevor Lawrence in the 2021 NFL Draft. Again, I know it's a bad example because he was not viewed as a uh, maybe miss or make guy. He was viewed as this is a franchise QB. You can't miss on him. But if you were in the camp of Zach Wilson or Trey Lance, you were backing them. Your, is your argument going to be, oh, well, because Trey Lawrence, or Trevor Lawrence was at Clemson and Trey Lance was at North Dakota State, I think Trey Lance is going to translate better? You're right. This is a bad example, Jimmy. But it is what, <laughs> no, it is what we're doing, though. He went to a high-power college, and we're saying, oh, well, he's not going to succeed because he's not going to have the same
2: talent that he had in college you in know his what? first season in the NFL. Here's the example I would give. I think this is a better one. Okay. Okay, I would look at Justin Fields. I would look at the Bears quarterback. So we remember Justin Fields where he had that six-touchdown performance against Clemson in the semifinal game. He was sensational, and that was on the same field as Trevor Lawrence. It was Trevor Lawrence with Clemson. It was Justin Fields with the Ohio State, and Justin Fields was sensational. Six-touchdown passes. Now we've seen it with Justin Fields in the NFL – when he's not surrounded by a who's who of complimentary receivers, well, we uh, kind of squint at the passer rating. It's under 80 for his first two seasons in the NFL. Sure. That is freaking awful in today's day and age. That is just for a reference point. That is about the same passer rating that Carson Wentz had last year for the Washington Commanders. That's what Justin Fields has done his first two years throwing the ball with the Chicago Bears. And if you look, what's strikingly similar between CJ Stroud and Justin Fields, if you go back to that game against Clemson, where Justin Fields threw six touchdown passes, you know who his receivers were? This is outstanding. Garrett Wilson. 10th overall pick last year with the Jets. Chris Alave, 11th overall pick last year with the Saints. Jamison Williams, who just got popped for gambling with the Lions. He was still with Ohio State. He had a touchdown catch that game. He was the 12th overall pick in last year's draft. Oh, and by the way, Jackson Smith and Jigba was on the field too and had a couple of catches that game. He literally had four first-round wide receivers surrounding him and Justin Fields threw six touchdown passes. Great evening. Take nothing away from the guy. But you see what happens when you go from creme de la creme in terms of supporting cast and weapons to throw to to Equanimia St. Brown and Darnell Mooney. You got an 80 passer rating. It's going to be culture shock city for C.J. Stroud when he's not surrounded by half the talent he's accustomed to.
3: Have you given up on Justin Fields yet? Are you are you done with him? Do you think no, hit,
2: no? I, I haven't given up on him, but this idea that oh, this guy, look at what he did against Clemson, and look at the uh, the processing speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. L- look at it when you don't have great weapons surrounding him.
3: You understand though? I'm not disagreeing with your point on that. That there's not going to be a drop back, or there's not going to be a regression early on. Like that, I've agreed with you on that multiple weeks. What I'm saying though, to go to the other extreme and say that he can't like it sounds like you're saying i don't want to put words in your mouth it sounds like you're saying he would be a wasted pick because he's not going to translate to the NFL because he's not going to have the same talent around him
2: well i'm not going to go as far as to say it's a wasted pick because you got to keep a couple of things straight here this is the the first couple of seasons in the NFL most likely for cj stroud because if he goes number 2 overall to Houston if he goes to the colts right if he even goes to the Titans. There are some people saying that they would move up. It's got to take a couple of years to really beef up the supporting cast.
3: And you and I agree with that. I think across the board that yeah.
2: it's going to take time. It's going to take a little bit of time. So I'm not going to say this is a wasted pick. I don't think he's going to pan out. I don't think he's going to be a franchise quarterback. I can't go as far as to say this is bust city. You know what I mean? Like no chance of success whatsoever because we've talked about this. Look at Tua Tungavailoa. He gets drafted by the Dolphins. Then they go out and get Tyreek Hill. Then the next year they go and draft Jalen Waddle. Like, you can upgrade the talent. Hopefully it happens quickly for C.J. Stroud, if the Colts make the mistake of selecting him. But, <laughs> but it can happen quickly in the NFL. So I don't want to paint the picture as if he's never going to have anybody worth anything as a supporting cast. It just might take a little bit of time for that to be the case.
3: But you also agree that if they take, just for example, because I know that he's your guy, that's who you want them to take. If they take Will Levis, Uh you would also agree with me, regardless of where either of them went to college, there are going to be struggles on both ends and you still need good weapons if you want them to reach where you think they can go. It's not going to be done just by them alone.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You could say that about almost any quarterback C- in correct. the NFL. And that's why when we draw
3: this aggressive line in the sand and say, oh, well, Will Levis is going to thrive in it better because he's had the lack of talent around him in Kentucky. Therefore, he's going to grow faster in Indianapolis with the lack of talent that they have. Like, I, I don't know that I agree with that premise. Like, it's guaranteed that he's going to translate better because he's dealt with oh. the lack of weapons?
2: Listen, there are no guarantees, Okay, I'll take away the, away the, the word. I'll take, I'll take
3: away the word. I wasn't trying to be hyperbolic there but in all seriousness though you think he'll translate better because
2: he's dealt with the lack of weapons around him I do I do because listen he's had to deal with all of these struggles for an entire season and it wasn't majestic this past season sure. with Kentucky but he has taken those lumps he has gone through all of those reps when t- talent wise supporting cast it was not in his favor so yeah he's further ahead in that category than C.J. Stroud is, certainly. So you've got C.J. Stroud. He's trying to take those reps. He's trying to take those lumps in the NFL when the supporting cast isn't what he's used to. It reminds me of, you might remember this Super Bowl commercial. Do you remember where uh, there was a baby and she needed her pacifier? I think it was a car ad. I'm not quite sure. Still running right now. Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. 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 I just saw it the other day. Yep. All right, well. The baby needs the pacifier and the mom is like, oh my gosh, you know, baby's throwing a fit. And so the guy, the dad, he's just driving all over town, his his ride over here. He's going through mountains. He's going through all kinds of stuff. He makes it all the way back, gets the pacifier, brings it back. And the mom says, it's the wrong color. (laughs) That's CJ Stroud. Okay, CJ Stroud is the baby in that commercial where he needs his pacifier. He needs his binky. He needs his blanket. He needs everything where he's comfortable. And he's not going to have anything close to four first-round wide receivers surrounding him in the NFL initially. Not going to happen. <laughs> and, and on top of that, not just talent, Jimmy, is I don't see C.J. Stroud throwing off-platform a lot. I don't see C.J. Stroud improvising a whole lot. Like, think about this. When you're surrounded by that type of talent, you don't have to do a lot of things creatively sure. that you will have to do when you have a – Worst supporting cast. So all of those things, I, I'm i just out. I'm out on CJ Stroud, and I think it would be awful for the Colts not only to draft the guy, but to trade up to draft the guy. I am completely out of that camp.
3: I need to see it from him more on a consistent basis, and unfortunately he ran out of time, right, because he's in the draft now. But you poo-poo it. I understand why, because it's a one-game sample size. And again, I know he had all the weapons around him, but... My la- I was out, I w- clearly, I was out on C.J. Stroud about, I don't know, I don't know what week it was, but right before postseason going to start for college football, I was squarely in the Bryce Young camp. And my measurement for him was, I need him to ball out, I need him to be absolutely electric against what is the closest thing to an NFL defense you're going to taste at that level, which was that Georgia team last year. And again, I know it's one game, but you know he can do it. He is capable of extending plays. Mm. He is capable of being creative with those throws when needed. Am I expecting anything close to the type of numbers that he put up if he's the starter week one in his rookie season? Absolutely not. I'm not insane. I I understand (laughs) that there's a learning curve in the NFL, A, and B, he's not going to have the luxury of talent around him. But we've been over this time and time again. There is enough for a developmental quarterback or a, just a first-year quarterback, not a developmental quarterback, whether it's Levis, whether it's Stroud, there's enough of a baseline in that receiver room for growth to happen regardless of who they take. Well, They're in a much better spot in my mind than Houston is right now, for example. Okay. like Whoever well, I, goes to Houston for quarterback, I expect them num- their numbers to be near identical to the type of struggles that Justin Fields has gone through his first two years. I really do.
2: Uh, I mean, hey, maybe it's possible. We'll see what they do the rest of the draft. They might get Jackson Smith and Jigba. You know, they might make a deal. They might get, uh, they might make a trade. Who knows what they do and what their roster looks like wide receiver wise. Um, when we're about to tee it up for week one, there can be a lot of things that change right there, but also this, it's not just weapons. How about this S2 score? We touched on it a little bit here, Jimmy, but think about this. So the test results are in. This is a cognitive test. Like how quickly are you processing information? Half the teams in the NFL, 15 of them, sign up for this, the S2 test. The other teams don't care. So it's a mixed bag. Some teams are all about it. Some teams don't care. But these are the results according to Bob McGinn. He's covered the NFL for a long time, particularly the Packers so I'll give you three test results. Bryce Young, 98% out of 99. Will Levis, 93%. That is savant level NFL thinking. Quick, decisive. CJ Stroud, 18%. That is in the toilet, Jimmy. Like this idea of processing quickly, kind of important in the NFL, really important. And so I see those scores with Levis and Stroud and immediately say, yeah, I hear about Stroud being so quick and so decisive on the field at Ohio State when he's surrounded by the talent he was surrounded by. And I hear all this stuff about Will Levis, slow to process, slow to read backside pressure. It has a lot to do with what wasn't surrounding him in college. So you got to take that and throw it into the equation as well.
3: And that's fair. We talked about that last week, right? Like, I'm not going to totally dismiss that. That That is a bit disappointing to me to see that, to see a quarterback that, you know, by all accounts, does have the ability to process well, do bad on a cognitive test. And I told you last week that that gave me a little bit more resolve to where I'm not going to be, you know, running through the streets with rage if they end up taking Will Levis by the time all the dust <laughs> settles. But you're right. Well, it has to be a fair component compared into everything. I do want to pivot for a second, though, and I'm sure you're leading into this. I know we were excited about the draft
2: odds at three, but but there's a bigger story there, if I'm not mistaken. Well, here's the thing. You know, you chose door number two with awful news, (laughs) and that would be the Colts potentially trading up to get C.J. Stroud. I'm glad that you're circling back over here, Jimbo. Is the odds for the number two overall pick... The leader right now is Will Levis at minus 140. The thrill. How about that? Will the thrill Levis. And then you get Tyree Wilson. He's at plus 225. Will Anderson Jr. at plus 350. And CJ Stroud at plus 400. So let's keep it as simple as possible. These are what the odds are telling you. Or this is what the odds are telling you. So if you risk, let's just say you risk $100 on Levis to go number two. If that's the case, you would win about $71. If you risked $100 on Stroud to be the number two overall pick, you would win $400. (laughs) That is a huge difference between Levis and C.J. Stroud. And doesn't this stink to you, Jimmy? You're a gambler. Oh, yeah. You ever see a line where you're like, oh, man, that line stinks? I mean, Utah in college football, minus three and a half against USC, (laughs) who's undefeated, what? It's like, bet everything you own on the Utes. (laughs) They know something that we don't. This line absolutely stinks to the high heavens. Think about all these mock drafts, Jimmy. You've got Levis going down to, like, Tampa at 19. Like, he's falling out of the the top half of the first round. And meanwhile, Vegas is like, yeah, he's the favorite to go number two overall. (laughs) That absolutely
3: stinks right there. So I saw this on Saturday when the odds kind of shifted around Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, and a couple things with it, because I want to dive deeper into what it means. Let's say Vegas is right, which we've had this debate the last week or so. Is Vegas now compromised? Are they victims to the same rumor mill chatter that we have? Or is it Vegas always knows and you should trust Mm -hmm. what they're saying? Minus 140 juice for Will Levis. That, to me, means one of three things. There's three doors available here. Either it's all just the smoke-lying season and Vegas has kind of fallen to it, but they're, you know, braced themselves. Not too overly so with minus 140 to, you know, plus 225 to Tyree Wilson. That's door number one. Door number two is that the Texans now all of a sudden really like Will Levis, or maybe they did the whole time, and it's just now kind of leaking, and they want to take him at two. Mm -hmm. Or number three... A team is going to trade up with the Texans to go get number two, and they want to take Will Levis, which brings the Colts into the equation. And I want to make this clear: I I tweeted it out on Saturday as well. Okay, there is no world where the Texans Uh trade with the Colts, and even if there was a world where that happens, the price that it would cost to trade in division to go up to number (laughs)
4: two—I'll
3: even throw Stroud in the mix. It's not worth any of them in this class to do it it's not because in division you start to get into oh we're not going to let our see a franchise quarterback play against us twice a year for the next 15 years you need to throw us a sweetener how about a couple more second rounders in there i'm not playing hardball with the texans so the colts are off the board in my mind it's one of those other three doors
2: well i'm mostly with you I, i think we can almost eliminate door number three because think about this jimmy it's if the Colts aren't moving from four to two, which we both agree isn't happening. Sure. Because the Texans would be like, yeah, wait, you're in the same division. Um, lose, our the naming rights? <laughs> lose our number. Lose our number. Naming rights to <laughs> yeah. Lucas Oil, please. <laughs> so if it's not the Colts moving from four to two to get Will Levis or a quarterback, who is it? It'd be Seattle jumping from five to two. It would be the Lions from six to two. It'd be the Raiders from seven to two. Like the lower you go, the higher the price tag is to do that. Right. And if this isn't like Trevor Lawrence, this is the best prospect since Andrew Luck. If that's not the case with Levis or Stroud or Richardson, then who's doing that? Right. So I think it's the Texans either like Will Levis or um we haven't heard the reports they played it close to the vest or chest whichever your preference is (laughs) or this is just this is vegas whatever They're, they're switching things up a little bit either they're guessing just like us or they've got a little bit more information i just read this and say this at least opens the door for this being a realistic possibility of Will Levis going number two overall I'm not saying oh it's gonna happen Vegas knows like I, I'm not convinced that's the case with the NFL draft sure. and is how as volatile as it is it's crazy crazy stuff happens it shifts it, it moves around so I don't think this is a certainty by any aspect but for him to have the best odds to go number two overall that at least should make you pause and say that stinks And maybe that's exactly what ends up happening.
3: (laughs) Can you clarify for the audience why it stinks? Well, it's just it's
2: so (laughs) different than what you've been fed the last few weeks, the last month plus. Is Will Levis going number two overall? So for Vegas to have that as the front runner, it's like, whoa, that doesn't match up. To what we've been seeing and hearing until now. So, yeah, that's why it stinks. It's the opposite of what you would expect.
3: So... I'm being a little too extreme when I say perhaps someone's going to save the Colts from themselves with these with this odd shift. Is that, is that too much there?
2: <laughs> I just think so. it's funny. We view it so differently. I know we do. What is such bad news is the Texans making the right choice, right. going with Will the Thrill Levis, right. and he is haunting the Colts Damn. for the next decade plus. That would be the terrible switch. But sometimes
3: there. that's the way the cookie crumbles. What are you going to do? It's tough. It's a tough one. Tough Cross one your fingers, settle. Jimmy.
2: Cross your fingers. That is not the way it goes down. All right, we've got Matt Miller Coming up next, ESPN NFL draft analyst. He does a great job. We will see what he has to say about Levis, Stroud, the number two overall pick in the Texans, number four overall, four overall pick with the Colts. We got a lot to do. Matt Miller on the way. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
5: Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment.
2: I'm Brian though, he's Jimmy Ki- Jimmy Cook. Gosh, I always want to call you Jimmy King from the Fab Five. You stuck the dismount though, I'm proud of you. <sighs> it was close. Very, very <laughs> close. But uh a ninety and one oh seven 5, five the fan. We were just talking about um the Colts trading up. We're, we're out to Matt Miller. We should have him here momentarily, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Uh ESPN NFL draft analyst. But um he might be analyzing stuff right now, you know? Could be breaking down film. Um you were just talking about <laughs> The cost to move up. And I just said, I said a couple of minutes ago off the air, I was like, uh, you know, if the Colts move up to get C.J. Stroud, as a Colts fan, I'm yanking my hair out. Just yanking it out. And Jimmy, who's just, you know, he, he's he's kind of like, you ever see those people on the beach that have the electronical devices? Wow. You're like looking for gold or looking for a I I don't mean this in a bad way. Jimmy was just sort of, he was doing that, but he was looking for information. That's what he was doing. He wasn't trying to get rich on the beach. He was, he was sifting for information sure. over here. Right. Yeah. And so Jimmy said, uh, what, well, what would your reaction be if they traded up for Will Levis? Would you be as mad? And I said, absolutely not. I said, the only thing that I wouldn't love is the thought of maybe, maybe the Colts would have been able to get will levis without moving up you know whatever they have to trade to move up that'd be the only thing i wouldn't love but then i half jokingly half seriously said about cj stroud now if arizona paid the colts for them to move if like arizona gave up a third round pick and then like maybe another third round pick and the colts then moved yeah maybe now i'm open to the possibility of stroud but short of that, no. Not interested in moving up whatsoever. We are interested in talking to Matt Miller, ESPN NFL draft analyst, joining us here on The Fan. Matt, what's going on, Matt? What do you make of these odds where Will Levis right now, he is the odds-on favorite to be the number two overall pick? Does that make any sense to you?
9: No, none. But <laughs> but they're, they're, Vegas is a big, beautiful city for a reason. These folks are... are uh, you know, pretty good at what they do. I, I do find it kind of funny. I don't know. I truly don't know this. Maybe you guys do. How accurate are the odds? You know, like, can we go back to last year and see, like, you know, was Travon Walker and Aiden Hutchinson felt like everybody kind of knew that was happen- would happen? Did they have Derek Stingley, like, the first corner off the board over Sauce Gardner and things like that? So, I think it's fun. It's, it makes the draft fodder a lot more fun, which I directly benefit from as a draft analyst. But uh, I don't know if I, I – and it's funny because I think it's only one or two sports books that have Levis as the favorite. So, like, is DraftKings hearing something different than FanDuel? Like, what what's going on uh, with, these, with these odds? But it definitely makes things more fun and, and adds to the anxiety and the intrigue that is the NFL draft.
3: Matt, in your latest mock, you have the Texans taking Will Anderson Jr. with the second overall pick. For a long time, I felt like, okay, well – they'll take whichever the best available quarterbacks is there at two and then over the last couple of weeks it appears that it was Bryce Young or bust for them is that what's reflected in your mock that they're going to go defensive end because Young's not there or is there still you know water churning around that a quarterback might be in their future regardless of who it is Uh,
9: I have them passing on a quarterback and taking Will Anderson from Alabama I've been told that they have a an astronomically high grade on Will Anderson. Uh, So I I think that is where the the winds are shifting that direction right now. Uh, It's not what I would do, but the sense I get from talking to people around the league is that the Texans see this as a situation where this is a bad roster, right? They won, what, three games last year, a handful of games last year. Uh, It's a bad roster and that a rookie quarterback is not going to change that, especially with a new coaching system coming in. Um, So I do think that That's where the the intel is right now. That could change. As we get closer to the draft, things will firm up. But everything I've heard is Will Anderson. And the surprise would be Tyree Wilson, not a quarterback. I I can't find anybody who says quarterback to Houston at two.
2: Uh, Which would surprise you more? And you might have answered it right there, Matt. Would it be Tyree Wilson being the number 2 overall pick? Or would it be Will Levis being the number 2 overall pick, which might involve a trade, possibly? What would surprise you more?
9: I think, oh, goodness, Levis would surprise me more. Also, and I know we have to take our own personal rankings out of the equation when we're talking about a mock draft, but I have Levis as my number 30 overall player. Uh, I almost have him and Hooker almost rated very closely for me. So not that I'm always right, uh, not that the Texans should listen to my rankings, but that would just be such a huge surprise for me given that I don't know anyone in the NFL who thinks Levinson is the second best quarterback in this draft.
3: Matt, on the CJ Stroud side of things, we talked a lot of the last couple of weeks of the you know embarrassment of riches he had, particularly at the wide receiver position uh, over his tenure there. When you look at that and compare it to, let's say, for the sake of argument, he goes to the Colts, the roster they have, how impactful will that be whenever he takes the field and how hard is that to shape up a receiver room in a span of an off season or two uh, in today's NFL
9: yeah uh, he'll never have a wide receiver room like he had at Ohio State <laughs> I think mean, we can safely say that with you know Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson Jackson Smith and Jigba Emeka Abuka uh, you've got Marvin Harrison Jr. Julian Fleming is their like fifth receiver, and he was the number one recruit at the receiver position in his class. So, like, their backups were five star recruits. So, you know, he's not going to have that in Indianapolis, uh, but they have good players in Indy. Michael Pittman Jr. is a good player. Alex Pierce is a good player with a lot of upside. Uh, the tight end, Jelani Woods, they drafted out of Virginia last year, is, you know, freak athlete with loads of potential. You've got Jonathan Taylor in the backfield. So if if he goes to the Colts, you know, it's not like you're going to a team that's completely devoid of wide receiver talent. I would argue the Colts have a better offensive framework than the Panthers do. And we we look at Bryce Young and just like, okay, he'll just slide in there and, and become a guy. He'll become the starter there and be really good. So I try to, with C.J. Stroud, we could say the same thing about Hendon Hooker. It's not their fault their receivers were good. It's not their fault they played in a great offensive system. Our job as evaluators is to try to take them out of that scheme and evaluate their traits in a vacuum. You know, how, how accurate are you? What is your arm string like? What is your processing speed like? And you try to gauge those things the best you can.
2: He's Matt Miller, ESPN NFL draft analyst, joining us here on The Fan. I want to circle back to Will the Thrill Levis. You got it, <laughs> number 30 overall, Matt. Like, when you break him down, what do you see that you like? What do you see that you dislike?
9: I liked 2021. I did not like 2022. And I understand he went through a scheme change. I think sometimes with Levis, he's way too trusting of his arm and his physicality. And I remember watching him last year in writing Carson Wentz. And I I truly believe there are so many similarities between these two players, even in the mindset of I'm bigger and stronger than you. I'm going to throw this ball wherever I want. I'm going to stand in the pocket. And Levis himself dealt with injuries, even though he's just, you know, super-sized human, you know, who's posing shirtless on social media, uh, even though he's comfortable doing that stuff, he's still, he's really been banged up. He had a foot injury that really bothered him this year. He's had uh, shoulder injuries in the past. So I see someone who you've got to speed up your processing. And I thought in 2021 they did a great job with Liam Cohen as the offensive coordinator of utilizing Levis's mobility, to allow him to have some easier decisions as a passer. He wasn't just standing in the pocket surveying the field. They were using him as a mover so that defenses had to play him more honestly, so that teams had to account for that speed. And when that disappeared this past year, man, that really affected his game. And So in the NFL, he's going to need time to operate. He's going to have to speed things up and hopefully, a team does take advantage of that mobility that makes him a better player, honestly.
3: Matt Miller, ESPN, NFL Draft Analyst and Insider. joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at NFL Draft Scout. Matt, going back to your most recent mock, you referenced the Cardinals and all the smoke around whether or not they're going to try to trade out of that spot and somebody else move up potentially to take a quarterback. I know you mentioned it in your piece, but in your talks you've had around the league, we won't hold you to it. I'm not going to lock you in and send you a text message frustrated on draft night, but <laughs> at this point in time, still a couple days out, they keep this pick, or do you think ultimately somebody's going to jump up and give them an offer they can't refuse?
9: I'll say someone comes up, but I think the price is going down because there's not – I know Adam Schefter, who is the best in the business at information, said six teams have called. Those teams are definitely going to wait and see who's on the board. You're not going to make that trade not knowing who you could select in that spot, but I do think the price is going down the closer we get to the draft because there's – You know, there's not going to be as much time to, you know, kind of finagle and and negotiate. And someone, whether it be the Tennessee Titans or the Minnesota Vikings or the Las Vegas Raiders, I, I do think someone will see Houston pass on a quarterback and say, okay, let's go get our guy. I hope it's the Tennessee Titans because how fun would it be for the Houston Texans to pass on a quarterback, for the Indianapolis Colts to not trade up, and the Texans get a quarterback, who then has to face those teams four times in one year. That's going to be just the the football drama that's going to come out of that is the stuff that we live for. It's going to be so much fun if the Titans make that move when the other ones wouldn't.
2: Matt, do you think it makes any sense whatsoever if the Texans are saying, hey, if we're being brutally honest with ourselves, if Bryce Young goes number one overall, we're not convinced about these other three top quarterback prospects. How about we go Will Anderson Jr. and we look to maybe Caleb Williams or Drake May next season. What do you think about the thought of deferring to the second half, if you will, and looking to the twenty twenty four draft to go QB? I
9: think a lot of teams are doing it. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons say they're riding right, with Desmond Ritter, the Washington Commanders say they're riding right, with Sam Howell. You know, we've got a lot of other teams that are you know, Geno Smith had a great year, but you know, Geno signed to a deal where you could get out of it. Jimmy Garoppolo signed to a deal that you could get out of. So I think teams are wisely saying, let's see what we can do this year. Let's see what we got. And if it doesn't work out, we'll get a guy next year. And for the Texans, because that roster is so, so just talent deficient right now, outside of, you know, left back Laramie Tunsil and some guys in the secondary, it does make sense to say, you know what, let's, let's try to build the team first and add the quarterback second. And maybe we can get by with the Davis Mills and Case Keenan in this scheme for a year. And then next year, if it doesn't work out, we've got Caleb Williams. We've got Drake May. Um, maybe Quinn Ewers can put it together at Texas and stay healthy. And maybe he can throw himself into that conversation. So uh, I do think that you're always looking ahead and trying to figure out what's the best thing for the long-term health of this team. Is it throwing C.J. Stroud out there with, with no receivers in a bad defense, or is it getting a receiver, building up the defense, and then getting a quarterback next year?
4: Matt,
3: what's your evaluation, kind of zooming out big picture to in-state prospects on guys like Corey Trice out of Purdue and Payne Durham as well, and then Michael Muir out of Notre Dame?
9: I love Corey Trice. Uh, I, I think it's been said a lot now, so I won't act like this is an original take, but you look at what Tariq Colin did last year for the Seattle Seahawks, and I think Trice is a similar Similar athlete, similar build. In the right scheme, he could have a, a great impact. He's a really, really good football player. Payne Durham, I have a, a round three grade on just because of injury history, but I, he's someone that if he's a starter in two years, we're talking about. Hey, here's the next great day three tight end. I won't be surprised at all if it's if it's Payne Durham, uh, and then uh, Michael Mayer is the best tight end in the draft, in my opinion, hands down best tight end in the class. He's it's like watching Jason Witten in his prime. I think a smart team, like maybe it's the Dallas Cowboys, will see that and say, hey, we'll take that. That's, a, that's what we've been missing. So um, a lot of good guy, a lot of good players out of there. I'm a, I'm a huge Charlie Jones fan. Charlie Jones is one of my favorite players in the draft. So uh, as far as the Purdue guys go, Trice I think he'll be the first one drafted. But uh, Charlie Jones is my dude. I think he's going to be a really good
2: NFL player. He sounds like a country artist in the making, does he not? <laughs> Charlie Jones, are you kidding me? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does. Hey, Backup maybe, career. Maybe he's got a second career waiting yeah. in the wings. You know, Matt, I am fascinated by the curveball. Right, if you look at the NFL draft, top five picks, maybe even top ten picks. Something that you're not going to necessarily throw on your mock draft, but you're like, don't be shocked if it goes this way, and a lot of people might not see it coming. What would be on your list? Oh, I have
9: one. I have one ready for you. Uh, the New York Jets drafting Jackson, Smith, and Jigba. So I'm not saying it's going to happen. I didn't put it in my mock draft. But that, that I keep hearing, like, hey, the Jets have done a ton of work on JSN. They don't necessarily need another receiver, but if you compare Jackson Smith and Jigbo with Garrett Wilson again, uh, and if you do get Aaron Rodgers, holy crap, that offense is going to be a ton of
2: fun to watch. I love that. I love that. Yeah, we'll see if that ends up happening. Matt, great stuff, But Thanks for spending some time with us, and uh, we hope you enjoy the draft as much as we will. Thanks so much, guys. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Absolutely. Matt. Absolutely. Matt Miller, ESPN NFL Draft Analyst here on The Fan. I feel like I, I should have been fully descriptive right there at the end, Matt. Like, we hope you enjoyed as much as we will, assuming the Colts get Will Through levis and not <laughs> C.J. Stroud. I feel like I needed to clarify and I just didn't based on uh, time constraints. You know what? I,
3: I gotta tip the cap to you, though. You're, you're a pro's pro. You, you wanna know why? Your pro's pro because a lesser host could have tuned out that conversation right away (laughs) when he said that he had Will Nyquil Levis as the 30th best prospect off his
2: board. Number 30. How many follow-up questions were there? Like, who are the guys ahead of him? Like, who, right? Wow. 30th overall. That is, that is amazing. We got to talk. He did mention one name and the odds shifting dramatically Last year, and we might see something similar this year. We'll pick up where uh, Matt left off right around the corner. I'm Brian, though. He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5, the fan.
5: Life is full of things to manage your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kisimta, ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta.
2: I'm Brian, No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I'll tell you what, man. This backup computer is going to be the death of me, Jimmy. This is uh, this is just unbearable over here. It's really rough. Uh, I know it's first world problems, but my uh, best computer, it had some keyboard issues. Ooh. Like, it would just double up letters or the space bar. Or it was driving me crazy. So, I went in, took it in to get it fixed. So, I'm on my backup, 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 backup computer straight out of 2011. Ooh. And yeah, for the last couple of minutes, I was just trying to grab some audio from Spotify. Yeah, failed mission. <laughs> three, three plus minutes or whatever it was. Couldn't even open Spotify Gosh. on this computer. This is what ended up happening right there. You know how my stupid mind works, Jimmy? This is what I was doing. Sure. So Corey Trice, the uh, cornerback out of Purdue. It reminds me of Obi Trice. Right. He's a rapper. <laughs> you know, the Eminem song sure. without me. Yes. And uh, it, he starts off. He's like, Obi Trice. Real, real name, name. No, no gimmicks. gimmicks. Yep, yeah. Yep, yep, I'm yep. thinking Corey Trice. Real game. No gimmicks. <laughs> okay. Huh? What okay. do you think about I love that? It. I love it. Yes. All I would have gotten it. you the audio. But uh, <laughs> yeah, again, failed mission with this. Maybe by a Thursday show, I can grab that audio for him. I believe I- in you. Yeah. How about this? Put it Um, on a floppy disk. I know. (laughs) Remember, like, the zip disks? That was, like, a game changer, right? (laughs) So, Matt Miller, ESPN NFL draft analyst. We just spoke with him, and he mentioned a name that I thought was really interesting. Derek Stingley Jr. So, you go back to last year's draft. Three weeks before the draft, Jimmy, his odds to be the number three overall pick, 100 to 1. He is a long shot, man. Three weeks before the draft, then as we ramp up the week of the draft, his odds change dramatically. I think he ended up being the favorite to be the number three overall pick at minus money, right? Like you could went from one hundred to one to like I don't know minus one thirty, minus one sixty, depending on when and where you got it. But I'm just applying that to this year's draft. Could we be seeing something similar? Either it's Will the Thrill Levis at number two overall. That's what the odds have you believing right now is that he's at minus 140. He was nowhere near being the number two overall yeah. pick for most of this process. And now on the doorstep, the leader odds-wise, it just it makes me wonder if it's Will going two overall or it's somebody else, is there going to be a Derek Stingley Jr.? type fast riser in this year's draft i'm fascinated by that
3: I want to find that just as much as you do but if you're in the camp to not get quite a hundred to one but get some solid value there if yeah. it's true what Matt said which is that will Anderson jr is generationally high on the Texans draft board he's plus 350 if you're treating all this as smoke there's great value to be had there it's not to say that maybe they don't trade back but if they have him that high, Brian, you brought it up earlier, where is the pathway to still getting him and trading back? I don't I don't see it. Because Arizona's likely going to take him. And even if they don't, even if they decide to go Tyree Wilson instead, okay, the Colts don't, is Seattle going to make that move with you to get up to two? And if you go beyond Seattle,
2: yeah. he's likely not going to be there. Right. Now, that's how I see it also, is really ask yourself this. Do you see a team... Like Seattle going from five to two for any of the remaining quarterbacks or the Raiders going from seven to two. Did they believe in Will Levis that much or CJ Stroud that much to go from seven to two? That's a big jump, Jimmy. Yeah. Sometimes I'll see this with the Titans. This has been in a handful of the mock drafts, which is the Titans trading with Arizona. So they would move up from 11 to three. That's a bigger leap than, say, uh, you know, uh, Seattle going from right. 5 to 2. I, it, comparable, right? Like, we all understand the way it goes with moving up that that high to get specifically a quarterback. It's going to be a hefty price tag, but which do you think would be greater? Do you think it would be Seattle going from 5 to 2, or would it be the Titans going from 11 to 3? I mean, that's almost the same thing as what the Niners did for Trey Lance. Yeah. Going from 12 to 3, the Titans would have to go from 11 to 3. That would be a huge price tag. So I have a hard time seeing someone trading up to number 2 to go quarterback.
3: I would actually take, and I do too, I don't think it's going to happen in somebody trading up to go get a QB at 2. But I would think that the Titans would probably be just edging out the Texans in terms of larger price tag, go to 2 to go to 3. And I'm going off the scenario you laid out. If it is consensus knowledge at that point that the Texans wants Will Anderson Jr., and in theory, he could maybe still be there if somebody's moving up to three. If I'm Seattle, I'm using that in my negotiations. Look, this is who you want. We're your last stop, baby. There's nobody else that you can trade with <laughs> to make that move to get your prized defensive prospect that you want. So, no, we're not giving up that extra third round. Are you kidding me? And then maybe it, at that point, it becomes either an even price tag between two and three in that scenario and the Titans are still having to trade up more because, like you said, they're further down in the draft. Why do we rule out Jalen Carter to three so much? Like, we no, haven't yeah, really considered yeah. that at all. Like, sure. he's yeah. a he's a generational-type defensive tackle, sure. and a lot of these top defensive tackles in the NFL now, they come with baggage. So it's like, that's like the yeah, one yeah. position where it's like, okay, if he's got a little a little problem on the criminal side of things. <laughs> like that's okay cuz like he, he we need him to have that kind of personality.
2: No, I hear you and think about Quinnen Williams from Alabama. He went number 3 overall to the Jets and he's been an absolute baller yeah. as a defensive tackle. So great value
3: I, there by the way yeah. if you're looking for that, Brian. If you're looking for a swing, that's plus 3000 right now if you think the Texans Oof. would go that way. Uh, or, okay. I guess he said the 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 uh Cardinals. So if you're Cardinals. going to 3 We'll zoom down real quick. You're looking at about plus 1,400, so still not not a bad lottery
2: ticket. 14 to 1, that's like going Yo 11, playing craps, you know? Hit on Yo 11, playing craps the other night, Jimmy. Saved our night. (laughs) Saved our (laughs) night. We don't do it very often, but my girl and I, we went and go played electronic craps. And it was a bad night. It was bad. We played the field for like a, a couple of times for 20 bucks. Didn't work out. Are you a craps player at all? Not really. No, I'm not. No, uh-uh. no. Okay. If you play the field real quick, uh, craps lingo here. So you get a bunch of numbers. You get uh two, three, four, you get nine, 10, 11, 12. So if it's either a high or a low number. You're in, you're in only a five, six, seven, or eight costs you, you know? Yeah. So it's like we get ten numbers or ten combinations, the house gets eleven. Pretty close to even. So we did that a couple of times, didn't work out. <laughs> we're down to our final ten dollars, Jimmy. And uh I went five bucks on the field, five bucks yo eleven at sixteen to one. <laughs> yo eleven saved nice. our night. We just walked off. We're like, we're out of here. We're freaking well out. <laughs> well done. Well done. We take those chips and run. Good Yeah, board. so that's Jalen Carter at number three overall to the Cardinals. Uh, real fast, by the way. Props to Houston. You talk about playing it close to the vest or chest. We don't know what they're going to do. You've got people saying, oh, they're definitely going quarterback. The next person, oh, they're definitely not going quarterback. Vegas is saying they might go Will (laughs) Anders. uh, They might go Will Levis, right? Like props to them for not giving any real indication what the heck they're going to do. It's wild what's going on in Houston. Maybe there is some competency there after all. Tip the cap to him. Tip the (laughs) cap. Maybe a little bit. All right, coming up next, Dan Devine. He writes for Yahoo Sports, covers the NBA. We have got layers and layers and layers of stuff to get to NBA playoffs-wise. We'll have some fun with that. I'm Brian Though He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
5: Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment.
2: I'm Brian No, he's Jimmy Cook here on the fan. Wanna welcome in Dan Devine, senior NBA writer for Yahoo Sports, and I you know, just give me a little grace here, Dan. We'll get to the NBA in a second, but I can't help it. I can't help it. Eddie Garrison, who's on the ones and twos, he played some Van Halen just there. And I have to know, Dan, are you team David Lee Roth or are you team, what's the other, what's that hack? Um, Sammy Hagar, my bad. We did not, not show bias there. It. Good is job. It, is it Sam yeah. or David Lee, Dan.
1: I mean, honestly, it's an insulting question that you would even ask me. It's uh, David Lee Roth was was the the heart and soul of the band, and then everything after that was no longer Van Halen.
2: Boom, Dan, you crushed it right there. Absolutely what I was looking for. I just wish Dane Dane Fife was here, who does the show occasionally. (laughs) And he's Team Sammy. Can you believe that, Dan?
1: I find it objectionable and I don't I don't know Dean uh, Dan Fife I'm sure he's a wonderful guy but that opinion is uh, is, is objectionable. I I significant problems with that.
2: <laughs> Absolutely, man. Well, hey, um you know, I, serious basketball question. Which player is playing the victim role better? Is it, is it Dylan Brooks who says it's the media's fault that I got ejected? Or is it Draymond Green who stomped on Sabonis and said, Hey, hey, don't, don't hold my leg and I won't do that. Who plays the victim card better?
1: See, I think this is one where it really depends on your lens on the question. I think Dylan Brooks basically na- adopting the nickname Dylan the Villain since he was at Oregon and then coming out and saying, the media has made me a villain. The fans are painting me as a villain. Dude, this is your brand. It is the brand you adopted. It is the one you have courted all season all, not even all season long, all career long. Uh, and then to throw you, to throw the rock of, of uh, calling out LeBron James and then hiding your hand the way he did is, uh, is it, 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 I'm a, I am, generally speaking, a Dylan Brooks guy. I think teams need somebody who is going to, like, go try to lock up the best player on their team and get in their kitchens and try and you know, make an impact without scoring. Dylan Brooks took that to a new level, though, by missing basically every shot he took and then getting himself run from an embarrassing game and then not talking about it. So he's playing the victim role well. The one who's doing the best with it, though, is Draymond because he actually came back and made an impact. He made a serious impact in Game 4 to get them back to level in that series because this is what De- who Draymond Green has been. There's all the issues that people have with him for a wide variety of reasons, many of them justified, but you cannot argue with the impact he makes on the defensive end, and you saw that uh, in a lot of situations late in that tight game to get them to a Game 5.
3: Dan, I'm not sure how much you sprinkle into the gambling waters but I made a a proclamation on Friday with extreme confidence that because of all this Dylan Brooks nonsense LeBron was going to go off for somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 (laughs) points uh we had a couple guests that came on they asked me for a lock like that's it place it there didn't happen uh I've I've made my apologies I've, I've had that had that moment uh for a bad beat for me, moving forward now, I'm confused. Are the days gone where I can confidently bet a 27 and a half or 28 and a half for LeBron James in a postseason game, or is it just this series?
1: So I, the the extent that I get into the gambling waters is that my editor has told me that I am like unders fuel. I was at uh, I was at bo- the, both of the Sixers Nets games and both of the uh, Knicks Cavs games this weekend here in New York. I was, just went all four days and I think I hit the uh, we hit the under every time because my present is like a cooler. So that, that's as far as I, as far as I contribute to it. So apologies to everybody who had the overs. Um, as far as LeBron, I mean this is it's the culmination of kind of a slow walk that we've been seeing and people. people. People have been writing about and talking about. I've, you know, put my two cents into it over the years as well. Like, yes, the production is still great. You know, he's able to crank it up when it's called for when he needs to, but it's not always there when he wants it, and it's it's not there at like an easy twenty-seven-seven and seven like it used to be. That was kind of the whole point. Of getting Anthony Davis, right, of, of being able to have somebody else who can slide into the number one role, and where at the start of the last few seasons LeBron's talking about, like, yeah, he's we're going to play through him, he's the number one guy, and when he's available and when he's locked in, he can certainly play like that. There, obviously, there's the availability questions, and then sometimes you have quiet games from AD, like in game two, that make you wonder if that's a bankable solution. I think the biggest thing, the, the silver, you know, the, the sunniest thing to take, if you're a Lakers fan here, is you you're up two one and you haven't gotten really like big LeBron games. You've been able to get up in this series. You know, Austin Reeves, AD, pick and roll, uh, Rui Hachimura making shots, p- bringing them home in game one. Uh, game One, They obviously blow the doors off the first quarter of game three, and they're kind of off and out r- to the races from there. But LeBron has been able to kind of coast his way through the first three games, and I think if you come to a point where you need more from him later on, hopefully there's more in the tank because he hasn't had to exert himself so much so early.
2: He's Dan Devine, senior NBA writer for Yahoo Sports, joining us here on The Fan how about Kawhi Leonard, man? It's I'd love to see the guy out there, and he was sensational in game one. He went for, what, 42 minutes in game one, then two nights later went for 39 minutes, and now we haven't seen him since. Out games three and four are going to be out for game five. Is this the downside of load management potentially, where you take a lot of days off, and then you try to ramp your body up full speed, and it doesn't respond? Is that what we're seeing here with Kawhi?
1: I mean, listen, the, 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 the next time I have a uh, uh, real grand insight into what's going on inside Kawhi Leonard's body would be the first time. But I, I think the, the concern I would have with, with that is I don't know that you can paint load management as a strategy with that brush. This might just be a very specific case, like a the curious case of Kawhi Leonard as an individual, because as you saw, you know, or Ty Lue said after game one when Kawhi went off, this is what we've been sort of saving up for. The whole mm-hmm. point was to save up for this. Um, and then, you know, you, find out, after, uh, you know, find out after that, like he, or after game two, he tweaked it in game one, but they don't really say anything about it. Uh, it started to swell. It got a little bit, you know worse than they anticipated after game two. And then all of a sudden, he goes from not on the injury report at all to out. And so the, the quickness with which these things can sort of crop up for him, uh, the, the dramatic shifts and sort of swings in uh, availability and form, it's, it's unlike Purdue, I mean, anybody else that I can think of in terms of, of the recent past. And that's it's why the beginning of this series was so... You know, kind of so stark and so eye-opening, you had people going, oh, right, maybe Kawhi Leonard like, uh, you know, deserves to be considered in that conversation of the best guys in the league. And I don't think anybody like, forgot how good Kawhi Leonard is. It's just you, know, you haven't seen it as often as you need to, to to kind of keep him up in that top five, top ten kind of conversation. Absolutely you know, game-changing talent on both ends of the floor when available, but ask any Clippers fan and they'll tell you they've been tearing their hair out for the last four years wondering how often they're going to get him.
3: Dan Devine with us of Yahoo Sports. Dan, one of the biggest surprises to me, and maybe it shouldn't have been, is the Knicks in a commanding 3-1 series lead as this thing shifts back to Cleveland. When you look at Game 5 as you're previewing that and the journey for New York to get here, you expect them close out, or how competitive a ball game do we expect to see in Cleveland here in two nights?
1: I, I mean, I, I, honestly, before the series, I picked Cleveland in seven, and that's still on the table. You know, they, they've still uh, they, they've shown – none of the, the, the Knicks haven't played, you know, brilliant lights-out basketball in, the, in their three wins. They've been better in winning time. They've been better in the clutch, and a lot of that traces back to Jalen Brunson. Um, and they've been – and also to Mitchell Robinson, their center. Like, the Cavs have a former all-star and a future all-star in the front court, and Mitchell Robinson's kind of depositing them into the trash can, like consistently beating them up on the inside on the offensive glass. They have not had an answer for him and that's opened all sorts of other stuff for the Knicks but the Knicks are not they're not scoring particularly efficiently they missed a ton of free throws and threes yesterday like these are winnable games for the Cavs if they can just get themselves right offensively that's kind of the big challenge I see for J.B. Bickerstaff here uh, the, the, the Knicks have correctly kind of made the gamble that if we load up you know we just, we just like sag our help, help defenders off of whoever is playing small forward for you Isaac Okoro uh, Jetty osman um, you know Karis Levert and there. Karis Levert—it has the most offensive juice of any of those guys. But even so, we'll we'll leave him alone, and we're just going to pack the paint. We don't, you know, we know that Evan Mobley and Jared Allen aren't going to stretch the floor, and we're going to throw five bodies in the the sight line of Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell every single time they try to attack. We're going to make it impossible for them to find clean looks, and they're going to have to make really really tough shots over and over again enough times to beat us, and they haven't. They they it happened once in Game Two when Darius Garland got off the Schneid. And the the, the the Knicks were able to sort of shut his water off again in games three and four. When frankly, a, a real like a young Cleveland team, a lot of those guys playing their first road playoff games, just looked like they were not ready for what the atmosphere at Madison Square Garden was like. I expect that sort of tone shift to to, to help them back in their own, you know the friendly confines of their own arena in Cleveland. But it's on, on J B Bickerstaff to find ways to loosen up that Knicks defense because they are packing the paint. They're daring those guys to beat them, and so far they have not been able to.
2: I'll try not to editorialize this question the way I did with David Lee Roth earlier, (laughs) Dan, but uh, I'm just going to say one thing. With the injury issues in the NBA playoffs, it makes me wonder, generally, is it more impressive to make it to the Final Four in college basketball, or is it to reach the Final Four in the NBA playoffs?
1: I mean... this, and I, I will try not to offer too much editorializing as like an anti-college basketball guy because I'm not I'm not necessarily that I just I, I wind up spending much more time on the pro game because that's what I cover. I think this, the war of attrition that the NBA playoffs is. You're talking two months, man. It's it's not single elimination outside the play-in, but you're talking about two months and seven game series every stretch of the way, and it's about how you you know can you overwhelm from the opening jump? Can you uh, you know deal with the the inevitable adjustments that are coming. Can you counter them? Who's executing them best? All that kind of stuff. And it's two months. You've got to do it through four series. you got to stay, either stay healthy or have the next man up work for that whole time. So I think the marathon nature of it, makes getting to the finals more impressive the nba finals more impressive to me but um you also have the, the benefit of a uh, higher overall talent level. you know it's, it's you know the top of the pyramid the best of the best and also generally speaking more guys who have been there before you're not relying as much on young guys kind of stealing up for those big moments but i think bo- both impressive feats but then the nature of just how m- how long the grind is and how hard you have to stay locked in for two months to get there i think that gets my vote
3: Senior NBA writer for Yahoo Sports, Dan Devine with us. Dan, is there anything more just emblematic of the blindness of fanhood than a Wolves in 7 chant breaking out after (laughs) Minnesota should have beaten the Nuggets twice (laughs) in that game?
1: Listen, man. I have no, sh- I have no shade for Wolves fans. They have not had a whole lot to cheer about yeah, in twenty fair. odd years, right? Like, <laughs> it's why I was not one of the you know pearl clutcher's tisk tisking Pat Bev when he jumped up on the scorer's table after the play in win last year. If you get some joy in this this dangerous world, you got to hold on to it with two hands and celebrate it. So, no, listen. I, the, and the other thing I would say is Anthony. Like if I had Anthony Edwards on my team, I feel pretty confident too. Even if it's a a, a a fool's paradise that I'm building for myself in the palace of my mind. I believe in Anthony Edwards because Anthony Edwards believes in himself.
2: Do you feel more optimistic about the Suns moving forward in the playoffs or more pessimistic based on what you've seen against the underhanded Clippers? I,
1: I think the danger for them is just you know, like the minutes loads tick tick ticking up, right? So I think I, I guess I would shade it towards pessimism. I'm a glass half empty guy generally, but you're, <laughs> if, if, you're, if you need you know whatever it is like 90 minutes uh, every couple of games, every, every game for, from both Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, and you kind of can't survive without those guys in the in the like mid to high 40s, that's going to be really tough over a long period of time. You know you don't want to doomsay and and get uh, you know too too uh, you know too too nervous about injuries, but Kevin Durant has had a wide variety of lower leg injuries, and, and you know the, this is you know the more minutes you play, the harder it is to stay healthy. Devin Booker earlier this season, hamstring and groin stuff, soft tissue stuff. Like the longer, the more you play in a uh, sort of a condensed window where it's games every other day, they're going to have you know. And these as these series get into the middle parts, you got travel every other day. If they go longer, um, th- that seems to me like a recipe for disaster. To say nothing of you know thirty-eight year old Chris Paul, who you know who we know what his, his postseason injury history looks like. So the play on the court. The way the offense has been clicking basically ever since they got Durant on the floor uh, and the way they've been able to answer a really spirited charge from a Clippers team that's like throwing the cold kitchen, you know, Tyloo is throwing the kitchen sink at, the, at, at Phoenix is trying to get uh, back to a place where it's level and then maybe he gets one of his guys back. But um, I think you have to feel really confident about what the Suns have shown with their, with their main guys on the floor. You just really, really wish they didn't have to keep those main guys on the floor so much so early. Dan,
3: what's been your takeaways to this point? What are your expectations moving forward for Warriors-Kings as things head back to Sacramento?
1: Oh man, I expect I expect Mad Max Fury Road. I expect uh, <laughs> war, war rigs and a flaming guitar and everything like the loud you know loud music constantly. It is it's lived up to the billing. The, you know the Kings. Everyone was saying you know like if you're coming in you know, uh, uh, an underdog in round one, you want the Kings because they haven't been there before because their defense is shaky because they're not going to be able to play fast in the playoffs the way they've been all season. And the Kings have said you know forget about that. We are going to do exactly what we do and be exact. Who we are, and De'Aaron Fox has looked like an absolute star. Like no, no, no more asterisks or qualifications necessary. He is going head to head with Stephen freaking Curry and not blinking. So I think you know the, the idea that obviously the the, the the Warriors strike back in games three and four. There's that. I think there is a sense that well, over a long series, the impact of Golden State's a ability to crank up on defense, and they're just like the championship medal that those guys have. The, the list of of accolades that they've, they've accumulated all the big moments they've been in together and the way they know how to sort of squeeze and close is going to come to fruition. And that may well be, but I think they're going to have to beat the Kings. The Kings aren't going to give it up. They've shown they, they've shown enough for these first four games to believe, for us to believe that they're for real and that the, the Warriors are going to have to throw the knockout punch. They're not just going to fall down on their own.
2: Hey, man, awesome stuff today, Dan. Really appreciate your time. And I love you even more that you're Team Dave instead of Team Sammy. <laughs>
1: only one team to be on and uh thank you so much for having me guys take care
2: thanks dan How are you too dan divine senior nba writer for yahoo sports that was really well done and by the way i said the underhanded clippers i meant short-handed clippers underhanded would be incorrect would it not be jimmy probably yeah i know what you meant technically though. you got it i, I felt think like you meant undermanned undermanned shorthanded i combined the two eddie is what I did right there. I felt like Chris Farley. Remember when he did those skits? And he's like, stupid, stupid, <laughs> dumb, dumb question, stupid. That's how I felt. I don't like to script my stuff, you know? It's more off the cuff. Sure. Uh, The way it's worded, at least. And every now and then you get underhanded instead of shorthanded. It's not going to be gold. It's not going to be perfect, but really well done. And how about that? He's not only on the correct side with team (laughs) David Lee Roth. He's on the correct side that it's more impressive to reach the final four in the NBA playoffs than it is college basketball. I'm not saying it doesn't matter in college basketball. Of course it does. It's a feat. It's impressive. But it's just weird how it's so widely adored and celebrated And the NBA playoffs, it's like, yeah, shrug your shoulders. You made it to the conference finals, great, but did you win a championship? That's all we care about in the NBA, and it's harder to get to that stage in the NBA. It's crazy to me.
3: I've never disagreed with you on the idea that it's harder to get there in the NBA. It naturally is based on the way that the playoffs are built. It's a seven game series. In theory, the best team should win out more often than not. That's why it's not a single elimination tournament outside of the uh the play-in tournament, which doesn't even count towards the regular playoffs. So that's a whole nother conversation for another day. That being said, he did not, and that's why I didn't ask a follow-up because, you know, he said some stuff I agreed with, and you know I don't really disagree with much of what he's saying, but I didn't follow up to put him in a spot of how much do you devalue the final fours like one Brian Lowe did last March. <laughs> I wanted to let that go and, and, and hey, move about my day.
2: Hey, now here's the thing. There's some nuance to it. So I've never said that reaching the final four in college basketball doesn't matter. I've never said that. I don't believe that to be the case. I just think that the admiration and the utter rose petal throwing goes above and beyond the actual accomplishment. That's all. That's I think it's overrated. That word, overrated is a trigger word, and I think it's misunderstood quite a bit. I think it's confused for, like, if you say Lamar Jackson is overrated, which he is, a lot of people interpret that as you're saying Lamar Jackson sucks. And that's not true at all. It's just that the reputation is much rosier than the reality. You know what I mean? And that's how I believe it with the Final Four. It still is impressive to get there. It's single elimination, Jimmy. You don't bring it in one particular game. You're probably going home. You're done. And so, yeah, it's impressive to get there, but, man, it is just... The drool factor is on—you ever see Spinal Tap? Like, these amps go to 11. Like, the drool factor is on 27 sure. when it goes on a scale from 1 to 10. It just—it's above and beyond for me. But how about this? You mentioned the Kings and Warriors. How interesting is it that we hear about the experience factor with the Warriors, huh? They've been here. They've done that. And Steph Curry is pulling a Chris Weber by calling a timeout that they don't have at the end of yesterday's game. No. That was unbelievable.
3: Yeah, somebody mentioned that to me on Twitter and you know it it didn't bother me in hindsight because hey, they won and my bet hit. They get the over in points. So but yeah, if that <laughs> if things go a little differently there, if the Kings don't, you know, kinda fumble their way through the final ten seconds of that game, there's a lot of Trashing the narrative and throwing oh. in the trash can of this experienced warriors versus what was Steph Curry thinking? It's an entire different conversation today.
2: Yeah, isn't really that is. wild yep. how it works yep. out? Yeah, if Harrison Barnes hits the shot at the buzzer,
3: or if Fox are... just makes a decision, just you put
2: it on Fox not to shoot a, a deeper shot.
3: I mean, I, I wanted—I can't remember who said it—if it was the announced on the call or if it was the studio host, but I agreed with I needed an earlier attack from mm. Fox. It felt mm-hmm. like yeah, Jalen Rose the guy. said that. It was Jalen Rose. It felt like Fox wanted to be the guy to take that shot and then he ends up picking up his dribble in a tough spot, gives it up to Barnes, and Barnes has to jack up a contested 3 at the horn. I mean, it it felt not what you would have wanted there uh in general for Mike Brown and company to end that game.
2: Well, what's interesting is whatever your outlook is on that, DeAaron should have attacked sooner. DeAaron should have shot it from a, a deeper distance than give it to Harrison Barnes. What, whatever your outlook is on that. If Harrison Barnes makes that shot, we are trashing <laughs> Steph Curry today. Nope. Harrison Barnes misses that shot. Revenge it's, game. <laughs> it's like a shoulder shrug. Like, ah, yeah, Steph's kind of screwed up. That was embarrassing, but whatever. Yeah. That's all it is. Like one shot, whether it goes in or not, nope. changes a narrative completely. Like That's just interesting to me, man.
3: And that's so why that, I love the NBA playoffs. Because it is. You, you have these different storylines going in and then you have these branches of different storylines game by game as the series unfolds and ultimately little mistakes like that. If they don't come back to bite you, they don't matter. And even if you do, if you wind up winning the series, it becomes an afterthought really does.
2: Yeah. That's how it goes, man. Welcome to sports, right? That's just how it is. Um, Real fast on Kawhi Leonard. Okay. So Kawhi Leonard out games three and four, he'll miss game five. He's got this knee issue. It swelled up on him. It's not related to... It's the same knee he tore his ACL in a while ago. It's not related to that ACL injury at all. He's just dealing with some knee swelling, and he's not going to go. Look, man, here's the thing. I think that it does have a little to do with load management. This is the downside of it. It's just common sense. If Kawhi Leonard is babying his body... Throughout the regular season, sitting out one of the two games on back to backs, you know, sitting out routinely. I look at it like a treadmill, Jimmy. If you are going on a treadmill a little bit, you know, you're taking it easy. You'll ramp it up every now and then, but you're taking it easy. And then the playoffs roll around. That would be like hitting the treadmill on an incline at a much higher speed and expecting your body to just adapt to that. It's the downside of load management. Some of it. Is that maybe not a hundred percent, but some of it is tied to that. And as much as load management was adored after the Raptors won a championship by beating a ravaged by injury Warriors team that helped them greatly get to that 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 feat, um, this is the downside of load management, and it's not talked about nearly as much as the the upside of it was when they won a championship.
3: I would agree, but I think it's it's at this point, it's a Kawhi case, right? You need to see more of these pop up in a larger standpoint before I'm willing to say and go as far to say that load management is the sole cause. It's not what you're saying. You're saying right. it's a, con- a contributing cause. And I don't yeah. disagree with that, right? It's, it's natural as your body continues to be used to those situations and adapt to it versus just putting it stress tested through a two month span of playoff action. Like, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I would need, and I think you might agree with this as well, I would need larger pileup of bodies before I'm saying, well, load management equals injury plagued career,
2: right? Well, yeah, I just think that it's so interesting. It's ironic that Ty Lu said, hey, this is what we've been saving up for. Yeah. You know, after games one and two, Kawhi was sensational in game one 38 points in 42 minutes. And it's like, yeah, this is what we've been doing it. This is why we've been resting him, you know, it's for this moment right here. And then after game two, he's done. He's out. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's crazy that way. But I also think this, put load management to the side, just Kawhi Leonard, bro, it's a swollen knee. There's no chance, no how you can get out there. Maybe if you're not Pete Kawhi, you're not willing to go out there. Like, ask yourself this, if Russell Westbrook had the same exact injury and also had a a torn ACL in the same knee years ago, right, They make it as even as possible, do you think that Russ is saying, nope, just can't do it? You've got some knee swelling and you can't get out there? There's a difference between being hurt and being injured. Kawhi Leonard is hurt right now, and he's choosing not to get out there. I just don't respect it. If you've got the mentality of, hey, man, if I'm not 100%, I'm just unwilling to give it a go. I just can't respect that. My
3: my only takeaway against that is that it's not like this is the first time in his career. Makes it worse. Well, no, but hear me out for a second. Yeah. When I look at the entirety of his career. I will remember the two championships to his name, one in San Antonio and then one in Toronto, and you know, how great it was, albeit like you said, helped out by the Warriors to bring that city and that country an NBA title. Never forget that. But the largest thing I'm gonna remember about Kawhi is not whether or not he toughed things out. It is the amount of injuries that have robbed him of what I think would otherwise be viewed as probably one of the best players of this generation, if not maybe the best player of this generation. And he has tried in the past to go through this. At this point in time, he's 31 years old. I'm not in there. I don't know the real severity of it. I'm not going to be the one to toot the horn and say, he's got to be out there. What is he doing? He's soft to not be out there.
2: You know what I mean? Man, I just, I look at guys I, like Isaiah Thomas just flashed into my mind when he was with the Pistons, and he hurt his ankle. He rode rolled it badly against the Lakers, and he's literally limping up and down the court and scoring 25 points in one quarter. It was extraordinary. It was one of the best things I've ever seen. And like I, I can't help but think, Kawhi in that same situation, he'd be like, Audi 5,000. I'm not 100% over here. I can't respect that at all. There are so many players that will go out there and give it a go, and they might be affected. They might not be at their peak. I'm not expecting Kawhi to drop 38 points if his knee is swollen and he's not right. But to think that he has no chance, no how to get out there, there are plenty of players, even in this day and age, that with the same exact injury would be out there. And so I just – Yeah, he's got some other great things on his resume. But, man, that is, when I just have to question, you could get out there, but you're choosing not to. I just cannot respect that whatsoever. Not at all. I can't do it.
3: Sounds like to me, though, at least from the most recent reports, and Chris B. Haynes was on this. Oh, uh, carrying the water. And and maybe he is, but you're not going to know until after the series is over, until it actually comes out from post season press conferences of what exactly has gone down with Kawhi Leonard. So whether or not he is or not, if he is not carrying water and it's accurate and it's not a pain tolerance thing, that would change my tune on any thought that he's not really giving it his
2: all right now for this team. Well, even his report, which was as positive as it could possibly be. It was right before game four, and he said he's got some swelling in his knee. It's not related to the ACL whatsoever, but this was not a decision that was up to Kawhi. He was ruled out, yada, 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 BS, That's BS. not the part I
3: care about. The part I care about is I'm with you. If it's a pain tolerance thing, look at what John ja Morant just said. I know there are two different injuries, yeah. but the story was it's a pain tolerance issue for Jai. It's all about how much can he really tolerate said pain, right? Does uh, kind of stupid on my, but anyway, I, I digress, but he powered through it and he drops 45 and he looks like just a, <laughs> d- the exact player that he's always been. Right. If it's not pain tolerance and it's limiting what he can do, legitimately limiting what he can do. I, I don't have an issue
2: with it. Yeah, I, I do. I have a huge issue with it because it, like, that's the thing. Limited is different than injured. Like that's the thing. Like Kawhi thinks limited equals injured. Limited just means limited. Limited means you can't do the same things you're typically accustomed to doing when you're 100% healthy. But it means that you can get out there and still contribute and still maybe be a difference in a series that it's been close. If Kawhi is out there and he's at whatever the percentage is, he's at 85%, 80%. I don't know exactly what it would be. I'll take that. I'll take 80% superstar compared to 100% backup. And he's just – he's unwilling, man. I just – I got no love for that. And I got a question like, what are you doing it for? I mean, really, what, what is it for? If you're not willing to go out there while limited – then what's your motivation? Are you just trying to extend your career and get some paychecks at the end of it? Like, what the hell are you doing this for?
3: Again, we're not there. So I don't know what the overall doctor's report are on it, but if it is not just hey, you know, you're kind of limited. If it's not 80%, if it is, uh, there's probably an 85% chance that you re injure this. And this is career ending. And we're not clearing you to go out there. If that's really what has happened. I mean, at this point, it's almost curtains. Really? Like I, I don't know. If he is not out there at this point in time, why bring him back now? Unless unless there's no real chance it could be re-injured. Because at this point, if it is in that same knee and it's just swelling right now, but then it turns into a tear at 31 with all the injuries he's had and what Steve Ballmer's still trying to build, that's it. You're done. Like, that's... Blow it all up and restart with the new arena that's just broke ground, uh, whatever, last month. I'll just
2: say this, the last part of it, last part, maybe, is... (laughs) Kawhi Leonard is way more about himself than he's ever criticized for. And a lot of that has to do with previous success. He's won championships with two different franchises, the Spurs and the Raptors. And that gives him the benefit of the doubt with a lot of people. And I think that's the main reason why he's not getting crushed the way he would be if he's never won a ring before. Can you imagine if it's the same scenario right here, right now, and Kawhi Leonard had never won a ring before? What we'd be saying about the guy, it's like you're limited. You've got some knee swelling and you're not willing to go out there. He'd be getting vilified right now. But because of the past success, it gives him the benefit of the doubt in the minds of a lot of people who are like, well, I just, I don't know. I, I mean, I got to hear a little bit more about the injury and maybe there's something more serious going on here. I'm telling you, it'd be a completely different sound if he was ringless right here, right now. It probably
3: could be, but again, I feel like we're going to extremes during this conversation. Like, I would never, in in anything that he's ever done in his career, in part because he's to himself, he's never been in my mind ever a me guy. That's never been Uh, my thought with Kawhi Leonard, ever. And he's never been that publicly. Like, if you want to make that observation, that's fine. That's never something that he's presented publicly as I'm a me, me, me guy. That's never been my label for Kawhi Leonard. He
2: is such a me guy when it comes to being limited and 100% unwilling to go out there while being limited. Like that is, that's me personified. Like That's the epitome of me is, hey, I got to protect my future. I got to protect my well-being and, and my ability to earn down the road and my career. It's all me, me, me. Like from an injury standpoint, he's a me guy through and through. <laughs> and like, and this is all based on the reports, which is, it's not ACL related. He's got some swelling and he's limited. And it's like, okay, cool. That's as positive as it can be presented. And I don't understand why the follow-up isn't. Then why the hell isn't he out there? And yet it's just, well, you know, this guy. And, well, let's look at the bright side. It's BS. It's garbage. I think it's totally weak. But, hey, we'll agree to disagree on that one. Coming up next, hypocritical is a bad description. I'm Brian, though. He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian. No, he's Jimmy Cook here on the fan. You know, I'm going to need the audio from Dan Devine, where if I'm feeling down with Dan Devine from Yahoo Sports covers the NBA, what he said about being team David Lee Roth and utterly poo-pooing Sammy Hagar, if I'm ever in a bad new mood, I just want to play that audio, and it'll perk me right up there, Jimmy. I feel like I'm back in the game after hearing Dan say that. We'll
3: that was put, We'll put it on a flash drive for you so it can run on your backup, backup, <laughs> backup uh, computer you're repping.
2: Put it on a floppy for me, please. <laughs> uh, so we've got some follow-up here with the uh, gambling situation in the NFL. So Jamison Williams, he's a Lions wide receiver. He's the biggest name of the five players that have been suspended. So Jamison Williams is suspended for six games, as is Stanley Barry Hill, who is a backup, 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 backup wide receiver, uh, who has one tackle in his NFL career, but not a catch as a wide receiver. He's playing special teams, but <laughs> uh, so Jamison Williams and Barry Hill. What Jamison did, he was betting on college football, which is allowed, by the way. Uh, apparently, the NFL gambling policy is players—you just can't gamble on the NFL. Okay, you can gamble on these other sports, but read the fine print, you can't gamble on those other sports while at the team facility or the team plane or the team bus or basically while you're at work. You can't be betting. And so that's what Jamison Williams did. He was betting on college football, but he was at the team facility, and that's why he's suspended for six games. These other three guys... Uh, Cephas, CJ Moore, Shakatone, they were betting on the NFL. So they're suspended for the entire 2023 season. They can apply for reinstatement after this year. There's no excuse for that. But here's the thing, Jimmy. I'm curious what you think about this. The NFL is being called hypocritical for taking a bunch of money from these sports books in advertising and to be partners. They're taking all this cash and yet they're suspending some of these poor unfortunate players. And it's like, that's not the right description. It's not being hypocritical. It's a lot like alcohol. The NBA might have Bud Light as an official sponsor and they're taking in a ton of cash, but guess what? You can't drink at the team facility or you can't (laughs) drive drunk and not face a suspension or a punishment, right? Like that's not being hypocritical. I think it's odd that you can bet as an NFL player but just not at the team facility. I think you got to make it a little bit more straightforward than that. Either you can bet on other sports – or you cannot bet on other sports. But don't make it this fine print of, if you're in your own locker room, you can't do your two-leg parlay on the Lakers and the Suns. You know what I mean? I think that part of it is weird.
3: Yeah, I agree. That's very odd to me. Doesn't make a lot of sense why we need that that caveat in there. But this whole conversation about uh, the NFL is being hypocritical. Look, I'll, I'll come at the NFL. like I'm, I'm very player-friendly in terms of just my, my view on the sports landscape. But in general... You cannot be having your talent, your professional athletes. I don't care if it's on themselves. I don't care if it's against their team. I don't care what the context is. Obviously, some of those would create more conflict of interest than others. I, I don't want it. I don't want it anywhere near there. It's been outlined clear as day to these players. Whether you want to say, oh, maybe Calvin really didn't know. Okay, let's entertain the idea that the NFL and all of its concise descriptions on things to players that they didn't alert Calvin Ridley at some point in time prior to last season or two seasons ago that he couldn't bet on NFL games. Let's let's live in that fantasy world for a second. Okay, Okay, fine. Now every other NFL player that in this scenario, much like Calvin Ridley didn't know you couldn't bet on the sport you're playing in then missed the part where the guy that's the poster child for the hard hand of the law, the NFL is going to deal out. They were like, "Oh, we can still do this even though that guy just got suspended a right. whole year?" Right. I don't I don't have any view of hypocritical nature here by the NFL. You can't do it. Like you cannot do it if you're an NFL player. It's been outlined clearly. I don't have any sympathy here. I don't.
2: Well, and that's the thing is maybe it's not just the NFL and their policy. The teams have to do a better job sure. of explaining what you can do and what you cannot do. I mean for players and like, listen, uh, Jamison Williams wasn't the only one. Look, man, I, I'm not an employee. I'm obviously not an NFL player, but I followed the NFL very, very closely. I have no idea that NFL players could bet on college football. They could just bet yeah. on the NBA. I didn't know I didn't that. Either. I did not. Yeah. So, yeah, there are going to be teams that didn't explain this policy thoroughly enough, which is, hey, the way the rules are set up, you can't bet while at the facility or basically at your job. If you want to do it at the comfort of your own home, fine. That's the way the rules are set up, but not here. You cannot do it here. You run the risk of, of getting popped and set, being sat down for six games. And
3: that's why I don't have an argument or a complaint with the amount of games that were given out. Right? Like if this was, oh, we gave him a year because he bet on team facilities, right? But or bet in team facilities, but not on the NFL, then I would be a little bit frustrated and annoyed. With yeah. it just being six games, again, I'm going to assume that the teams didn't or that the teams did provide that explanation and context to the players, but if they did not, it's one of those where these are the rules. There's nothing we can do. We'll try to do a better job of explaining it next time. At least it's not a whole season. It's six games for you. Like that's
2: Right, and listen, man, there are some things. Remember the uh, when Andy Reid's son, he uh, left the team facility yep. and then he, he hit a parked car. And there was a young girl that was really injured badly in that whole situation and the whole talk was Jimmy you remember this at the time mm-hmm. was was Andy Reid's son drinking at the team facility before he got in his truck and was driving away Right And no one said, Hey, the NFL is hypocritical. They're taking all these, these, uh, this money from beer ads and bud light. And now they're going to punish Andy Reed's son for drinking at the facility. It's like, bro, there are some things you just can't do while on the job. And if the NFL says gambling is one of those things, then it's on the teams to explain that to the players. Yeah. And, and
3: it's, across the board the nfl is going to do their initial spiel i'm sure there's like a a summit or video that's sent out like hey you know here's what you can't do and can't do with gambling and right. then it's on the teams to have a reminder i don't care if it's as much hand holding as signs up in the locker room yeah. or signs in every like facility area get that parlay done at home don't get it done <laughs> here in film i don't care what you have to do if you're going to allow players to bet in some capacity You're in a team now where you have to do everything from a precautionary standpoint to make sure they know it, they are aware of it, and if they still do it, that's on them.
2: You know what's also interesting, Jimmy, is players in states where gambling is not legalized. (laughs) I mean, think about that. If you go on your phone and you're like, all right, let me enter in this, uh, uh, you know, sons in five bet because (laughs) Kawhi can't answer the bell over there. Wolves in seven. Yeah, Wolves (laughs) in seven. Let's... (laughs) Get that at 19000 <laughs> or whatever it is. Um, it, if you're in an, a state where it's not legalized, then you can't enter that bet. And the team benefits from that if you don't yeah. know the rules thoroughly, right? But meanwhile, the teams in states where gambling is legalized, that's where you really got to be thorough explaining what you can and can't do. And look, I find it to be... Like too much fine print with the NFL and their, their stance on this thing, but really, man, it's on the teams. You've got to be able to tell your players what you can and can't do. And if they're in the dark, that's ultimately on you. But think about that too, Jimmy. Think about if you just acquired a player that was from a state where gambling is not legalized in. Maybe not gambling on his like, DraftKings <laughs> sportsbook app while in the locker room on his previous team. But he might be willing to do that on his new team where it's legalized in that state. It's just something you got to be on top of as a team.
3: Got to be proactive with the team management from that level and then from the NFL level. Look, I am fine with the whole acceptance of gambling by these different sports franchises. The issue that I have and why the NFL, thankfully, has not been soft on this issue. You cannot have the people on the outside looking in with the tinfoil hats that start, ah, this is is basically the WWE we have going on here. It's rigged. The players are in on it. They're making more money on it. No, there can be no emotion or lack of demeanor by the NFL and their punishments through this process. It all has to be taken seriously, especially when it's involved in league bets, as in whether you're playing in the game or not, bets around the NFL – they have to put the kibosh on it. Yeah. So far, they've done it, but this is the second offseason and more players this time where it's a news item. I would like, ideally, and I'm sure the NFL mm-hmm. feels the same way, next off season, this list doesn't go to like 20 players. that it, it starts to regress and get back to where they want it to be.
2: Well, it is crazy, too, Jimmy. is Think of those three players that were betting on NFL games. That's specifically what the NFL yeah. does not want. And can you imagine what the reaction would be if Jameson Williams, who's a much bigger name, yeah. if he was betting on NFL games, like what is it with these receivers <laughs> been betting, man? Like <laughs> like it's the new tag. They used to be known as divas. Now they're known as hardcore gamblers oh, sure. over here. It's crazy. All right, coming up next, let's speed things up in another sport as well. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook. It's ninety three five and one oh seven five the fan. You know, I just thought of it, Brian, Knowing and Jimmy Cook with you here on The Fan. The next thing we disagree on, if we can bet on it, Jimmy, you're going to a metal show with me. That's what I want the stakes <laughs> to be. Okay. Yeah? You in for that? Sure, sure. Yeah? Let's do it, yeah. I don't know why Dr. Feelgood made me think of that <laughs> from Motley Crue. Not exactly metal, but outstanding song. But for some reason, the <laughs> intro of that, it just made me think, you know what? That's what I want the next bet to be. It's uh, not just the. Uh, it's gonna take three years, maybe, to be ironed out. We did a thing where. Uh, how many NFL teams would you say have no chance to win a Super Bowl over the next three years? Jimmy picked twenty-two teams in the NFL. Easy, no problem. So we have a stake bet over the next three years. If it takes that long. <laughs> next bet, I want metal to be a part of it. You okay. go to a metal show. What would I go to if I lose? What do you think? I I I'd, I'd have to think on it. I'm not certain. I don't know. Uh, no. A Zach Brown band? Is that no, hate, no, right? no? I don't hate Zach Brown at all. Like, who is it? Uh, Dante? Dave Matthews. Oh, I hate Dave Matthews band. Oh gosh, I hate Dave. As a you know, as a band, not a guy. <laughs> I don't know anything about him as a guy, but oh, as a band, I can't do it. Yeah, uh, Dave Matthews band, Tool. Freaking hate Tool. <laughs> <laughs> don't have to worry about the grateful dead i those are my three those are my i don't know what it is something about a, a jam band i know tool is not a jam band but they just get under my skin man i don't know they're kind of like the david they're kind of no i'm sorry they're like the sammy hagar <laughs> of like heavier music where it's like the thinking man's approach to music it's like i don't want thinking with my music okay I don't want th- to think. I want to feel. You know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, I'm on a whole tangent. Here, real fast. How about this? College football. Some rules are being changed this upcoming season, Jimmy. I know you know about this. Mm-hmm. So the NCAA playing rules oversight panel. Whatever. They're changing stuff. Those people, okay? Three things they're going to change. The most important one is a running clock after first downs. Just like the NFL, except for the last two minutes of each half. I'm cool with that. It's going to cut down on the amount of plays in a game. It's an injury thing. You also think about the expansion that's soon to come here with a 12-team playoff format. So when you're playing a lot more games than you used to, I think you got to trim some of the fat and some of the plays down. And so they're calling it, quote-unquote, exposures. I don't hate this. It doesn't greatly change the fabric of football, just speeds it up a little bit. I have no issue with the clock running after first downs.
3: Yeah, I don't either. I really enjoy when there's more continuity in terms of the way things are called or the way things happen situationally at the college level and then at the pro league, whichever you want to be at, whether it's NFL, whether it's the NBA. I like when there's more uniformity. This is closer to that. Uh, yeah, I'm not old man on my lawn or anything about getting rid of the running Mm -hmm. clock or, you know, adding the running clock rather after first downs.
2: Yeah, and the two other small uh, changes are, you know, you can't can't call two consecutive timeouts, you know, uh, carrying a foul from the second or the fourth quarter uh, rather than an untimed down, right? So just little things, little things are being added where, uh, you know, you're cutting down on... On, on things. On we the lose the players. timeout
3: war. We lose the timeout war now, and we lose icing, icing, icing the kicker. That That's kind of sad uh, from a comedic standpoint, but, uh, you know, had to be done.
2: Had you know would be funny? I know this isn't the place for jokes from the oversight panel, <laughs> but it'd be funny if they just did a tongue-in-cheek and defense is mandatory it has to be played in the big 12 i think that'll <laughs> cut down on the amount of plays in a game that would have been hilarious but no, they have some
3: comedy go? to them they try to do a running clock after incomplete passes that was thrown out there in oh. terms of potential uh rules idea for them obviously that didn't come to fruition but uh there's clearly some comedic value there in the rules committee i hate that idea <laughs> Me and too.
2: you know what jimmy i hate to even put this in the atmosphere I think it's just a matter of time until you mm. see that, at least in college football. And I hate that yeah. idea. i Because that, that changes strategy like crazy toward the end of a game. Or even, like, it's not just the final five minutes or something like that. If you say, okay, for the final five minutes, incomplete passes, they stop the clock. It's like, dude, if we're, like, early in the fourth quarter, late in the third quarter, like, this changes a lot yeah. in a game where I'll give you an example. Let's say uh, there are six minutes to go in the game. You're up by 17 points. You're facing a third and seven. Like, instead of running the ball and running the clock, you're going to throw it. Right. Because if it's incomplete, who cares? The clock rolls anyway. Yep. I don't like that at all. Yeah,
3: for that exact reason.
2: Yeah. All right, coming up next, James Boyd, Colts beat writer for The Athletic. We got a lot to talk to James about. That's on the way. I'm Brian, though. He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
5: Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kisimta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta And check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
2: i'm brian no he's jimmy cook here on the fan i want to welcome in james boyd colts beat writer for the athletic joining us here james the uh the betting odds now favor will levis to be the number two overall pick what's your reaction to that maybe being the possibility on thursday i do not believe that at all honestly um
4: uh, <laughs> I think that we're in this space now where it's like, how much stuff can you throw to the wall and see what sticks. So I don't—I've never given betting odds a lot of, um, you know, energy just because they change every day and it's just something to talk about. Um, I see people tweet them out sometimes, but even then, it's not really reporting. It's just throwing numbers out there to see, you know, what type of engagement you can get. So I understand it from the clicks perspective, but from the real perspective, I don't take it pay it any mind.
3: James, I completely agree with you in that regard, except when we get inside of four or five days to where this is, because at some point, whether it's you, whether it's Adam Schefter, whether whoever, whoever's breaking the news, at some point those numbers are going to shift to a point where, okay, maybe this isn't just smoke. Maybe there's legitimate fire here. Though I do agree with you on the uh Will Levis thing. I don't envision him being or going there at two, rather. I don't think somebody's going to trade up. But as you look at all of that, as you take everything into account, the betting odds, what you're hearing from the team, what you're hearing across the board, at what point in this final week do you decide when you see a nugget or you see a piece of news, oh, well, this is actually legitimate. This is where the winds are kind of really shifting now.
4: Yeah, I think, obviously, the closer you get to the day, the more I think it probably gets fleshed out. But I would say – the only thing that's really been defined is that Bryce Young is the presumed number one pick. Mm-hmm. Anything after that is so up for grabs. Um, you know, Houston's kind of being mysterious at number two. But I'm always in the mindset: this is whether I'm reporting or not. It's just my look at life. That the least likely thing to happen is probably the way it's gonna like. I mean, I'm sorry. The most likely thing that's gonna happen is that nothing happens and things kind of fall like where you would assume they would. So I know right now you have all these mock drafts and you put all these different things that could happen out there and and everyone's either yaying or naying what's going to happen, but I'm just thinking to myself, like we're going to get so hyped up about all these different things
2: and then the board's going to fall
4: pretty undramatically how you probably would assume it would.
2: Man, I I see a curve – that's what's driving me crazy, James, is I think we're going to get a curveball where you say, whoa, that's different than what I've been seeing for the last month and a half with all these mock drafts. I just don't know where it is. But you're of the mindset we're not going to get any major curveballs at the top of the draft, huh? Yeah, man, I just don't – I feel like – and this is – again, this isn't really reporting, this is my like –
4: Outlook on a lot of these things, man. You get so hyped up for so many different things to happen, and then you get there, and it's like everyone was just calling someone else's bluff. Now, um, personally, I love chaos, so you know, bring it on. I guess last year prepared me for it. So if they want to throw some wrenches in there and, and get get some things rolling and have me uh, scrambling to do my job better, I, I'd love that. <laughs> so I mean, why not? It, it, it's the draft. It's exciting. But um, one thing I will say though is that Houston. At number two, yeah, they're definitely, you know, mudding the waters a bit just because, you know, there's rumblings of them passing on T.J. Stroud. Do they take a look at Anthony Richardson? You know, the betting odds, say will Levis, So they're the one I think that's kind of steering, you know, what falls after them, obviously at number two and three and four. But um, exciting times nonetheless because I, I assume that the Colts are going to take a quarterback, you know, no matter who it is. And at that point, obviously, it's a very big decision for the franchise. James
3: Boyd with us, Colts beat writer for The Athletic. James, you had a piece on Friday that was kind of focusing on Colts Ryan Kelly and regarding his love for Indianapolis and the chaos that he described at times last year's season. You get that on The Athletic. What were your overall takeaways? What did you learn the most from that conversation with Ryan?
4: I think that he was very candid, which I always give him credit for. Um, And I know fans don't want to hear that after you don't play well, but he was a guy who faced the music you know, win, lose, or draw. And so I got to respect that. And I think that he spoke to a lot of truth about last season. You know, I remember describing it as dysfunctional and um, got a fair amount of backlash on Twitter from a few fans. But, you know, this is a guy himself who was in the locker room, you know, when the cameras weren't there and the media wasn't there. And he he repeatedly said it, that it was chaos. Um, And so that's, you know, someone who's been here for the longest out of all your coach players, That if he's saying that, then I would imagine others are saying that in the locker room. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't dismiss his play. He has to play better. I think that he felt reassured when Shane Steichen called him the day he was hired to tell him, basically, you're going to be the guy. Um, so we'll expect him to play better, I think, um, after going through that. And obviously it helps if you just have stability at quarterback mm-hmm. and stability just within the franchise overall. There was, you know, coaching changes player changes, injuries, things of that nature. So you get JT back healthy, Shaq back healthy, get a quarterback in there, you know, trust your new coach. Things should be, even though they're different, they should be a lot more, you know, uh, stable than last year.
2: He's James Boyd, Colts beat writer for The Athletic, joining us here on The Fan. It's an interesting point, James, is a chaotic situation. And like you said, a quarterback that's a true franchise guy can help chaos a whole lot, right? Like, lessen it quite a bit. In your opinion, what quarterback that could be on the board would do that the best and do you have any indication as to who the colts might think that guy could be
4: yeah i'll say this chris ballard did um you know a lot of heavy lifting and during his last media availability before the draft saying hey we're not zeroing in on anyone don't care what you're hearing that's not coming from me you know he's basically was saying it's not truthful so He's maintaining his leverage. I'll say this, though. I think I'm, I'm of the mindset of the two quarterbacks that I would lean most towards is probably C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson. If C.J. Stroud drops past two, I think the Colts should go up to number three and get him. I think that he's that good right now and still has a, a fair amount of upside that the gap between him and Will Levis and Richardson is, is worth that. And so that would be, like, my, my first choice if, you know, Bryce goes number one and, again, For some reason, uh, Stroud doesn't go at number two. And then if it comes down to Levis or Will uh, Anderson, I'm sorry, not not Will Anderson. If it's uh, Will Levis or Anthony Richardson, I would lean toward Richardson just because of his upside. And I think that his floor is higher than people are giving him credit for. I think that with his running ability, um, he's more prone or more primed to play sooner than later. Um, I'm not saying he would, like, play right away, but I do think that you don't have to sit him for an entire year And given Shane Steichen's track record with quarterbacks, how he's helped Jalen Hurts develop. I mean, if you look at 2021, Jalen Hurts was not looked at how he is now. And Shane Steichen helped him in that season. And he took a massive jump in 2022. Obviously having, you know, a lot of offensive weapons helps, But I do think that, um, you know, you got to give Shane Steichen credit for helping Jalen Hurts become the highest paid player in NFL history. And so if he can, you know, orchestrate a similar timeline or, or, you know, infrastructure and and just – a uh, learning curve for Anthony Richardson. I think that the sky's the limit for that kid because he is dynamic. And I think that you can't really pass on that because if you're going to, you know, roll the dice, roll the dice on the guy you got the biggest chance of uh, winning with.
3: James, I know you've spent time with your own mocks. You've spent time consuming the beast. You and Zach Kiefer are both. We had Dane Bruger on last week. As you look past the quarterback, and after that selection's made, again, assuming it is a quarterback, and the other needs on this team. One could make a strong argument. You list it in your most recent piece that wide receiver is a need within that building, another weapon to have around a young quarterback. How aggressive do you anticipate the Colts will be in terms of rounds two and three? Again, for the sake of not getting too much in the weeds, let's say they don't trade up. They get a quarterback at four. They still have all their assets left.
4: Yeah, I think that wide receiver has to be um, an area of need. And, and maybe you prioritize offensive line. For example, if Osiris Torrance is there um, at 35, the Florida kid, and you know it would help if you had Anthony Richardson, if that's your quarterback, um, wouldn't you know be opposed to bringing in his college teammate. But moreover than just being his college teammate, that guy is good. He's really good. And I think that he could come in right now and be your starting right guard and uplift this offensive line. So if he's there, I think it's a no-brainer. But I also think that, you know, you can look at wide receiver. If there's a guy like Cedric Tillman from Tennessee who's a big-body receiver, um, can play over the middle, can, you know, can can be a, a pretty good blocker if he, you know, gives more effort in that area and, and learns more about it. Um, you know, even a guy like Jonathan Mingo from, uh, I believe, Ole Miss, who's another guy, big-body receiver, who can, you know, in my opinion, fit into the slot, you know, for what Paris Campbell left by leaving for New York. He could slide in there. Um, and obviously the bigger target could probably be more durable. And then also, you know, a guy like Jaden Reed, wide receiver from Michigan State, who I fell in love with at the Senior Bowl. He's a confident guy. Maybe it's because he's from Chicago, but um, he, he's a good dude. <laughs> and um, he's very versatile. Like, I think that that's something that I'm curious to see how Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen's, uh thought process aligns beyond just the quarterback because I'm like, can we see maybe not as many Ballard type receivers or players and, and, you know, a few of them that maybe that might be outliers to us because they're more of a Shane Spiken type. So um, I do think that a guy like Jaden Reed will fit a Shane Spiken offense very well because Shane Spiken likes to take a shot down the field. And Jaden Reed has that speed and versatility to keep defenses at bay and make you, you know, um, you know, account for him as a deep threat. So, I'm excited about it, and I know the quarterback will get all of the attention, and deservedly so. That's the franchise. But obviously, like you pointed out, they have a lot of needs that they need to address. And I think the offensive line and wide receiver are probably the top two. And then you can get into, you know, some of the other needs. I would also even throw cornerback in there as well. Like, Julius Brent's Indy native. He might be a good selection in that third round. But again, like cornerback, wide receiver, offensive line, those are the three glaring issues for this team, in my opinion.
2: Man, James, um, you mentioned what Shane Steich his role with uh, Jalen Hurts in Philly. And I just stopped and thought for a second. You think about Philadelphia and Jalen Hurts just signing a mega contract extension, and they were just in the Super Bowl going toe-to-toe with Mahomes and the Chiefs. And we're three years in. Like he came into the league in 2020. And so like, think about that for the Colts, them striking gold with the right quarterback, upgrading the talent around him to resemble an Eagles-like roster, making a Super Bowl three years from now. Like, is that not likely to happen? Do you even have that as a possibility for the Colts three, free, three years from now, their success resembles what the Eagles just were able to do?
4: No, no. Um, obviously, as a writer, I guess I would love to cover a team that is a championship-caliber team, but I would say no, and I think that that's important for the Colts to kind of soak in. You know, the last few years, they've always built this team and approached the season as if they were a quarterback away from being a playoff team, a Super Bowl contender, but I think last year really showed that they have a lot of flaws they have to fix, and then even just the talent of your players, you know, like, Buckner's 29, Grover Stewart's 29, Ryan Kelly's 29. You know, you assume that these guys are going to be good for, you know, you're that they'll be good for a long time, but you see a little bit of regression with Ryan Kelly. Um, you don't know if Buck and Grover are going to be the same players they were a year ago, three years from now. So I would just say with the, how the, t- the team is built, the timeline is a little bit, you know, confusing. They have to really, I think this season, decide if they want to, you know, rebuild it. Truly, or just kind of retool it, which has kind of held them back, in my opinion. But I would say to all the Colts fans out there, as much as you know, Jim Irsay talks about Lombardi's and winning two, um, it's not going to happen in the next three years. And honestly, if I'm wrong, great. And then I'm yeah. going to Super Bowl and I'm gonna have the time of my life covering Super Bowl. So I'll take that.
3: <laughs> James, we had a conversation, and I'm putting myself back in the spotlight here, but I just want to get your. Thoughts on it. We had a conversation last week, myself and Brian No did, about this landscape of the NFL. How many teams can realistically win a Super Bowl in the next three years? Uh, perhaps I went a little bit too bold, but uh, we made a bet and I stand by it. I said 10 teams of the 32 have a legitimate shot to win the Super Bowl in the next three years. When And the Colts were in the the latter half of that. Obviously, they were in the, the 22 that I did not pick. Uh, how crazy am I for that? And I can give you some specifics if you want in terms of like who I left out. But how crazy am I for that? And is it that insane? Or is there really, to Brian's point, a dark horse I probably left out that can have a quick turnaround because that's what this league so often brings forward?
4: I don't think you're wrong. I feel like there's a good amount of parity in the NFL to you know have the legitimate 10 teams that could win it. You know, pretty soon. But um, yeah, I think some of the turnarounds can be a little uh, misleading. For example, <laughs> the Giants had a great, great, great turnaround from you know from 2021 to 2022, but no one thought they were going to win the Super Bowl, right? Like no one really thought that they yeah. had enough to get there and win it all. Um, it was a great season for them. Not discrediting that. Even like the Minnesota Vikings, they had that weird year where they were like, I want to say they were like a, had a negative point differential. <laughs> through like 13 weeks we had like a winning record and it was really good they only had like two or three losses but no one thought that like Kirk Cousins and that team was going to win it all so I will say that you know it takes a little bit of luck in the NFL because you know any given play any given you know uh, day a team could you know have a fumble recovery or, or an interception or you could drop a pass and go to another guy's arms and it changes the entire game and that changes your season but um, I would put a little caution out there that, uh, you know, there isn't going to be some crazy dark horse that comes out of nowhere just because I, I feel like it takes a lot. And obviously, it takes a special quarterback, too. And those guys don't come along very often. I mean, people talk about Jalen Hurts now, but there are a lot of questions about him, you know, when he first was drafted. And he was actually a questionable draft pick at the time. Right. And even a questionable starter in 2021. And now. He's solidified. People are going to pat themselves in the back. But I know you all are lying. Like, you didn't think he was going to be this good. Not all of you. So,
2: yeah. (laughs) Hey, good stuff, James. Really appreciate your time, man. And I can't wait for the draft. I would imagine you can't wait. It's almost over, James. Oh, man. I'm like in – this is me being selfish. I'm like, dang, I'm going to miss, like – this
4: NBA game on Thursday night and Saturday night because I'm going to be in the draft room, but got to pay the bills, man. And I can't complain too much. It's still yep. a fun job.
2: Yep. Absolutely, man. There he is, James Boyd, Colts beat writer for The Athletic. Good stuff right there, man. For sure. Always appreciate talking to James. Yeah, it's funny too because I had the same thought where, you know me, I'm an NFL junkie, but I love the NBA mm-hmm. playoffs. I'm like, okay, I, I got to kind of get the two TV setup thing going on yep. right now or the two stream thing Have going to. on right now, but... It's different when you're covering a team or covering the draft. Not the same deal of paying attention to the NBA, man. That's the way it goes.
3: I will say, I've seen in years past, though, along the scorer's table, whether it's at Pacers games and like a college football game on a little iPad, or whether it's at the collegiate level when you see a scorer's table and maybe there's, you know, a a big NBA game or something like that on. So you have your crossover, but I would imagine, particularly if you're on the beat, that's very hard to have that multitasking aspect at play, particularly on night one of the NFL draft.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, You know, a couple of things, a few things to react to with James, who oh, did a great job. I'm thinking this, Jimmy, is when you look at Jalen Hurts, who obviously Shane Steichen was coaching last year, and you think about the possibility of what can Shane Steichen do with whoever the Colts draft, it makes a lot of sense. The one thing that I want to throw out there is – how different it's going to be in terms of pressure, comparisons, expectations. You know what I mean? Like, take Jalen Hurts, good example. Jalen Hurts was a second-round pick. He was the 53rd overall pick. How often do you hear Jalen Hurts compared with the other top quarterbacks in that draft? Joe Burrow, Tua Tungavailoa, Justin Herbert. Do you hear comparisons left and right? Between Jalen Hurts and any of those other top picks, no, you don't. I mean, I would say now
3: you do, right after last season. But you're right prior to that, prior to that run to the Super Bowl, no, he would not have been. He would have been in second tier rising for me. I still don't hear him. I, the
2: point is this: if Jalen Hurts went fourth overall, yeah, yeah. so I'm like he would be talked about from the get go. In terms of, well, uh, Burroughs playing better, or, or Herbert's, look at what Herbert's doing, and Jalen Hurts isn't even playing <laughs> sure. yet, and blah, blah, blah. It would have been nonstop. And that's what's different. This isn't to take any shine off of Jalen Hurts at all. Right. I'm just telling you, whoever the Colts get at number four overall, or, or Bryce Young, think about Bryce Young compared to Jalen Hurts being the number one overall pick, and the Panthers traded all of that draft capital to move up from nine to one to get Bryce young, it's like the clock has started for that quarterback being successful on draft yeah. night. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's crazy how that, that changes. And so I'm just thinking of that. If the Colts get will the throw Levis or they're stuck with CJ Stroud or whoever it is, <laughs> right? Like the comparisons yeah. to the other top guys, the pressure, yeah. the expectations, it's going to make it harder for whoever the Colts quarterback is to thrive. It just will. Look, I don't want to
3: fully oversimplify this, but tough. Like, I'm sorry. I don't feel bad for a prospect. Hey. If you if you are touted enough to be selected and all the due diligence has been done, whether that is off the field whether that's the work you put in, it comes the territory. Don't let that be. The, not say it doesn't matter. You're right. It does. There's immense pressure there. Don't let that be what breaks your NFL career. Like, there's a lot of things I can tolerate. If at the end of any quarterback that's taken and you have those
2: group comparison, don't let it be that. Just don't. Hey, man, I hear you. Amen to that. That's just the nature of the beast. But I think it's interesting when you're drafted, how that can change
3: perspectives. The whole narrative, the whole conversation, the whole evaluation of the prospect changes because inherently, when you're only separated by two, three, five, ten spots, yeah, those comparisons or what-ifs or what-could-have-beens will always be there. They'll follow you for your entire career. And sometimes, I'm sorry to throw a stray his way, because by all accounts, it seems like a pretty nice guy, but sometimes you get both whammies, right? You don't have the talent to make it High level in the NFL, uh-huh. and you're still traded up to go get. Yes, I'm talking about the biscuit, Mitch Trubisky. I'm sorry, but it just did. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it's didn't matter how much pressure was there. You likely weren't going to pan out the way that you
2: envisioned or the way people envisioned you at the time of your draft. Think about this too, Jimmy. Is the range? Think about the Colts. They could end up like Team Bears with Mitch Trubisky. Like they <laughs> they could trade up a spot, maybe and get a quarterback that doesn't pan out in a draft that I don't know that you're going to see another Patrick Mahomes in this draft. I doubt it. Or even a Deshaun Watson in this draft. That's unlikely. But let's just say you get something comparable. The Colts trade up for a guy who doesn't pan out and somebody else drafted lower does. You have that possibility. And you also have the possibility of what happened with Jalen Hurts. I know it's a really talented (laughs) roster, but – like James said, we weren't expecting Jalen Hurts to be this guy this soon yeah. and to become like the highest paid guy in the NFL. We weren't expecting that. And here we are. Like you could strike gold also. So that disparity, the range between Trubisky and Jalen Hurts is just, yeah. it's so interesting to me. To kind of bring it full
3: circle, that's why I tip every cap I can to the Philadelphia Eagles because we've talked. Throughout this process, how imperative it is to continue to push the envelope when it comes to surrounding talent around your Ferrari, your top tier franchise quarterback, that trade they made a year ago to go get A.J. Brown. Again, I know it did not end up in a Lombardi trophy for them but it got them on the doorstep and changed the entire trajectory of not just Jalen Hurts, but where that franchise is in terms of reopening a championship window that I might have thought was closed after that 2017 title.
2: Yeah, if not for that flag-happy official. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Like, but it's true. It's We've talked about it with C.J. Stroud, the talent that he had at Ohio State, the lack of talent Will Levis had around him at Kentucky. It matters. Yeah. And with Jalen Hurts, again, not taking any shine.
3: Took three seasons. Took three seasons to finally get that perfect weapon for him.
2: But you get A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. You got Dallas Goddard. You had Miles Sanders in a good running game. Really solid offensive line. (laughs) He's in a great (laughs) spot. And so, yeah, it, it absolutely matters. I just... I'm so curious what happens with both guys. In particular, I'm so curious about C.J. Stroud when he was surrounded by a who's who supporting cast. How does he perform when that's not the case? And then also Will Levis, who wasn't surrounded by a who's who supporting cast, but really struggled last season. Like, How does he do at the next level initially when he might not be surrounded by great talent? That's a, a huge question for both guys, man.
3: I'm fascinated also, and I know we'll open this up probably on Friday once we have the answer of who the quarterback is, mm-hmm. what strategy do the Colts employ? And when I say we'll have the answer, I mean you and I will be able to have the answer we think we have. The Colts aren't going to tell us until probably two weeks before week one. How are they doing it? Are they playing the old school style? Are they sitting whoever this quarterback is for a whole mm-hmm. year, letting them learn behind Minshew and learn the offense? Or are they going to give them the keys to the car at some point in time? That, that's the more fascinating aspect one of the more
2: fascinating aspects of all of this once the decision is made. You know, and let's get into that because I think I know your answer. Who's more likely to be a week one starter? (laughs) Okay. But really, let's walk down this road. And and there's also, there's a rare case of a player being selfish, yet also unselfish. We'll get to both of those things coming up. I'm Brian, though. He is Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Simple question for you, Jay Cook. Who's more likely to start for the Colts at quarterback come week one if this is the draft pick, okay? Would it be CJ Shroud or would it be Will Levis? Who do you think it would be?
3: Do you understand why this question is compromised for me and not because of where I lean one way or the other. It's compromised because my belief and you asked me a similar question a couple weeks ago is you sit the guy a year. That's always been my thought. Let him sit for a year, let him soak in, let him let him absorb it.
2: That's your preference.
3: That's preference. my preference. So I mean if okay. you're if you're making me choose, and this doesn't impact one way or another my take on who I'd rather draft. Mm-hmm. Every scouting report says that Levis is probably the most pro-ready guy. It doesn't mean that he's going to be the biggest success of the bunch. Wait, they say they
2: say Levis a, a, is a, more. A,
3: a lot of I, I guess if you throw Stroud in there, I apologize. You said Stroud, not Richardson. My bad. Yes, yeah, Stroud, so Stroud or Levis. I, I'm, I'm getting in a different conversation. It, I'd probably still lean Stroud, but there's been enough talk about Levis and how the Colts, at least internally, value him as a well. least that's what the media says I mean Chris Bauer didn't say it so everybody else is lying right but that's what they've said is that he is the most pro ready of a lot of these guys maybe not Stroud or Young but he belongs in that conversation so I'll take Stroud but I basically what I'm saying is Brian this is a bad radio topic for me because (laughs) I don't I don't agree with the I don't agree with the formula to begin with I wouldn't do it to start off with If you made me, I'd probably say Stroud, but I'm not starting either one of them. I'm I'm letting Minshew lead the pack. I'm letting them learn the offense. Maybe you bring them in midseason. Okay,
2: that's your preference. I understand that. And hey, listen, that might be the way they do it. We'll have to see how it plays out. But I think it's an interesting question of who's more likely to start week one if you did start a rookie quarterback in week one, Yeah, which is a big if at this stage. But I think... Overwhelmingly, most people would say, "Oh, C.J. Stroud, he's more pro ready." You kidding me? And I just I push back because we've been through this. I'll give you the CliffsNotes Notes version. Jimmy is he's not going to have the same type of talent around him initially right. if he's the Colts quarterback, and I think you got to be smart about that because I was whether it's C.J. Stroud or any quarterback that's a rookie in the NFL. My preference is you know enough where you're not a total liability and you're not creating bad habits that are going to be hard to correct, correct going yes. forward. You know what I mean? Like yes. if you just don't have the playbook down, if you don't have the ability to to read coverages at the NFL level just yet, if you're having a hard time picking up pressure and like, I don't want to throw that guy out there until they're better suited to go out there because what's going to happen? They're going to create bad habits that are be harder to correct going forward. So I think you just got to be honest with yourself. And I know you're going to be antsy to see your bright, new shiny sports car out there on the highway, yeah. you know, right. but it might make sense to wait until this rainstorm clears just a little bit before we test drive this guy. Right. I, I just think you got to be honest with yourself. Is he ready to at least not establish bad habits? If your answer is no, then wait a little bit, give yeah. it a little bit of time. And that's, Almost why I feel
3: comfortable saying I'd sit them both because I could hear the arguments either way. If it's Stroud in general, you don't want bad habits to start forming right out of the gate. Let him take the first half of the season or maybe the whole season, whatever angle you want to go at and absorb the NFL with Levis. It's the exact same thing, but it's for the knocks against him at the college level, particularly last season. And we've talked in nauseum of every different thing that he had, maybe working against him at Kentucky, Factoring that in, still, his scouting report says he often... Doubts himself as pressure arrives. He's not as quick with it as you'd like a quarterback to be. And exotic defenses, including blitz pickups, sometimes confuse him. You mentioned that for bad habits you don't want to form. I don't want to throw Will Levis to the Wolves right away for that exact reason. I don't want a carryover
2: effect where these bad habits start to form at the pro level. I think it's just, it's such a hard middle ground to find You know, you're trying to hit the double bullseye. (laughs) You're shooting darts over there. Where, Really, you're trying to say, okay, is this guy, is he ready enough where we feel confident he's not going to start forming some bad habits on the football field? Versus, hey, you know, like he's got to get out there and learn on the job at some point. You know, the best way to learn is on the job. Baptism by fire, sure. Yeah, like how do you figure out He knows enough where he's going to take his lumps, but he's not going to be creating bad habits left and right. Like, how do you know exactly when that time to strike is? And it's funny, too, because a lot of times, you know this, Jimmy, it's not based on the player. It's based on the team results. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, if a team gets off to a bad start, they're 2-5. and It's not like your rookie quarterback made this seismic leap Heading into the next game where now all of right. a sudden he knows enough not to establish bad <laughs> habits. It's just like, hey, let's let's dust him off and see what happens. You know, I think you got to be very, very smart about how you approach it with your rookie quarterback.
3: And particularly for Indianapolis, regardless of who that pick is, because we need to see a massive leap or a massive bounce back, I should say, along this offensive line. And that's going to be really particularly in Stroud's case, as you mentioned, because he did have elite five-star talent across almost every position. That's just the kind of action that you're going to find at Ohio State. This line needs to be one of the best in the NFL, whether it's Stroud, whether it's Levis, whether it's Richardson. They have to hold up their end of the bargain in ways they were just not able to last year with Matt Ryan. Now, again, most of these prospects they're linked to, you're going to assume because they're younger, because they're faster, there's going to be a little bit more creativity, ability to bail out the O-line to some extent, but if it's as ole like it was last yeah. year, it's not going to be a
2: pretty sight, regardless of who's under center. You know it's a scary question, too? This is an honest question, Jimmy. If C.J. Stroud is the guy, which unit is more problematic? Is it who's protecting him with his offensive line or comparing it to Ohio State? That's the thing, right? Is it the offensive line or is it who is weapons are? Who's catching the ball? You're right, like wide receiver, tight end, all things considered. When you're doing a side-by-side, like, uh, you know, Ohio State's offensive line, Paris Johnson's going to be a first-round pick. There's going to be a, a second-round pick from that same offensive line, right? Versus what the Colts have, same thing with the weapons, the pass catchers. What Ohio, what Ohio State had around C.J. Stroud— First-round talent left and right the last two years versus what they have right now. That's a sobering question right there, is which is more problematic for C.J. Stroud initially. For
3: me, if Stroud turns into the type of prospect that people think he's going to, the larger bugaboo that could trip him up is the offensive line struggles in my mind. Because I do believe it wasn't solely the weapons around... Yes, they helped. Of course they helped. We've established that. But I don't think it was solely the weapons around him that make him a talented quarterback. What I want, and I could say the same thing for Will Levis... I don't care who's out there at receiver initially. I want him to be able to process things and have, I don't want to say all the time in the world, but enough time that you're not going one, two, sack. I I don't want that to be where things are at. It's far more important to me to make sure the offensive line is shored up.
2: Hey, listen, man, I hear you. And uh, it's crazy that you have to stop and think about that question. You know what I mean? Like That's where I mean it's sobering is, which could cause CJ Stroud more problems initially. And again, this is assuming he's even the quarterback to begin right, with. Right. But yeah, I think what could establish more bad habits initially, I think it's protection up front. Yeah, I agree with you. Yep. You know, and um I just don't want to see that happen with whoever the Colts quarterback is, is establishing some of those bad habits that you have to break and have to correct. You got enough stuff going on, right, to right. be a, a true franchise quarterback, but When you establish bad habits, that makes it that much more difficult. Brian knowing and Jimmy Cook with you here. 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Let me throw this out at you too, Jimmy. Is uh, Draymond Green. Uh, It's really interesting where uh, this series against the Sacramento Kings. I think you're seeing selfish and unselfish Draymond. And this is really in my mind been the way it is in his career. Is that he's both. He's not just one without the other. So if you look at the selfish side, well, stomping on Demonis Sabonis and getting <laughs> ejected in game two and getting suspended in game three, that's a selfish move. But at the same right, going into game four, he tells Steve Curry, he's like, hey, how about I come off the bench? You got a good rhythm going on here. How about I do that? And then he's unselfish in terms of doing the dirty work, playing great defense, you know, like blocking shots, right. rebounding. It's weird with Draymond is sometimes he's got these scores to settle with either opponents or opposing fans, or, and every now and then he can get selfish. He could punch Jordan Poole. Like he can turn selfish because of anger or whatever's going on there. But he at his core, he's an unselfish player yep. by doing some of the dirty work and saying, hey, how about I come off the bench? Remember Carmelo Anthony a couple of years ago when he was at the Oklahoma City Thunder? And a reporter was like, hey, you giving any thoughts of coming off the bench? And I think it was Paul George. He's like, hey, Paul, Paul, you hear what this guy just asked me right there? He wouldn't even think about doing that. And Draymond, they just won a championship. And he's willing to do it. It's so interesting with Draymond. He's a blend of selfish at times and unselfish at his core. The 2016
3: NBA Finals will forever be a part of his resume. It's forever haunted him. there's nothing he can do to take that away. But when you look at his entire body of work and to your larger point about, you know, yes, he's a clown at times. He's very reckless at times. Often throughout his career, it does not compound into he's going to destroy a series completely and be the selfish guy and make it all about me after he's gotten the slap in the face from the NBA. Once they've handed down that punishment, it's very rarely me, me, me look at the Even Game 7 against the Cavaliers, which again, some crazy plays made across the board. He's knocking down triples left and right, like basically pushing the offense afloat in that first half. I, I will say, regardless of my feelings for Draymond Green as a player at times, the idea of suggesting to come off the bench, the idea of accepting his role and not dragging the team down with him, which he easily could have done, and you easily could have predicted that after the suspension, it it's admirable. It is. Yeah.
2: It's weird because he's a team guy. Yes. at his core. Mm-hmm. But then he'll he'll do some stuff <laughs> at times that is about him yeah. and not the team. It's just such an interesting blend with him. But think about that, Jimmy on the positive side is he gets suspended for game 3, which he should have been because he's got a history. Okay, that's that's my feeling. Some people disagree with that, but look, man, when you've got a known basketball rap sheet and you stomp on a guy's chest and you carry on the way you did <laughs> talking trash to the fans and front of the commissioner, of the yeah, yeah. you're not going to get the benefit <laughs> of the doubt. Sorry. That's just the way it goes. But the point I'm making is as a player, you're dying not being out there with your guys. You're already down to nothing in the series. Game three rolls around at home. You can't play. Think about how that would feel. And then the next game in game four – where a lot of players would just be like, put me in, coach. I can't wait. Like, you know, like, and Draymond says, you know what? I think it would be better for the team if I came off the bench. That is yeah. that's mature right there. You know, and there are times where Draymond does not look mature at all. So I just love the blend of that guy where he's a mixed bag. He's selfish at times, unselfish at times, he's mature at times, totally immature at others. But that's just Draymond.
3: You're going to take, and the Warriors have, the occasional outburst, the occasional suspension that arrives for what he means to that team, mainly throughout his career putting them first yeah. and doing whatever it takes to see the team as a whole succeed. Every now and again, the blips are going to happen. He's shown this his entire career, but to answer the bell again and take the unselfish route, yeah, I'm, I'm,
2: I am I'm, was proud to see that for sure. Yeah, and battling through injury. Mm-hmm. Unlike... Um <laughs> who's the guy? Yeah, oh, yeah, Kawhi name. Leonard. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, there is. over there. <laughs> All right, coming up next, Jimmy, uh, we close it down in style. You've got some, I'm going to say, you've got some winning bets for us tonight. I don't even know what they are, but I've got this feeling in the core of my being that they're going to be correct. And also, Jimmy, you know me, some would call me Mr. Positivity, you know? There is something... I would absolutely like to point out, not tongue-in-cheek whatsoever, that I absolutely love a sport made a major change, and it is so much better for having done so. We'll do that. Coming up, I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
5: Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Key
2: Man, this is just a segment of love over here, Jimmy. Brian, though, and Jimmy Cook with you here on the fan. A couple of bets I love tonight. Before that, something I love that the NBA changed. The take fouls. You can't do it anymore. So think about this. Like, the other team has a fast break going. What you saw last season, a team would just committed an intentional foul. stop the fast break. You can't do that anymore. So it would be one free throw and the ball. So teams stop committing these these take fouls. They're down 87% this season, Jimmy, compared to last season. And you saw this. I, I saw it in the Suns-Clippers game in particular where Mason Plumley he threw a bad pass. At CP3 picked it off. And Mason Plumley was going to foul Chris Paul but said, oh, it's just going to be a free throw <laughs> in the ball, so nope. the heck with it. And so he let him go, which was the right move. CP3 found Kevin Durant, transition three. It was beautiful. The offense got into a little bit of a rhythm right after that. But it's another reason why offense is up this season. And I think a lot of it traces back to the take fouls. When you can get a fast break going, you knock down a shot, you get a dunk. Like It does help your offensive rhythm and it's certainly better for entertainment so i love the take file basically being eliminated
3: so i can i can go to the dry erase board and i i can take a w to Adam
2: Silver, is that what's happened here? Yes, you can do that. One of the very few things that you can with Adam Silver, but this was an absolute mega win. I love this. Yeah,
3: I, I'm right there with you. I, I love the way as you outlined there, the data has shown just in general that it's made the game better, particularly on the offensive side of things. I saw you tweeting about it the other night. I can't remember. Now you just mentioned the game. I apologize. I can't remember if it was it Suns Clippers, correct? Where yep. you had seen that? So for me. I didn't have a problem with it when they made the rule. It's one less thing for um, <laughs> for Jeff Van Gundy to, to bang the table at uh, during broadcasts where he's always calling for rule changes. And anytime you're going to improve the offensive product, I'm here for it. Oh, it's it's been great.
2: Been great. I can't uh, say the Wolves in seven chant was <laughs> as great last night. But it's funny. Do you think they're just kind of like joking around? Or are they serious? What do you think? Look. I will agree with
3: what Dan Devine said, who we had on earlier, Uh in regards to Anthony Edwards. If I was a Wolves fan, I'd be pumping my chest about that young man. I mean, just truly sensational performance down the stretch. Why I would say that while they probably mean it if you gave them true serum, they'd be like, nah, this is probably over because the Nuggets nearly stole that game away. Definitely didn't live bet that action with five minutes to play. Yours truly here and thought I was going to get out of there with free money. Couldn't be me. Oh. Joke, just hit that second or hit that one. What, what, first what did throw. you, what was your bet? Jimmy? Uh, it okay. was, it was uh, like 68 plus? to win 168 at like plus, uh, I don't know, one. Here, uh. what, what the juice was. It was, like plus 140, somewhere around there.
2: Okay, so you got it where? Like somewhere they, uh, around halftime ish? No, or? I got it when. It, it was mid-stage's third quarter. Okay, and when, Minnesota went on a run? And, and they went
3: up five, and I okay. thought, alright, this is the time to jump in. It's around plus money. Then <laughs> subsequently, they go up by ten, and it's pretty much double <laughs> digits throughout, and then I'm... So I'm so when, to, it,
2: when they were down twelve with a couple of minutes to go... Did not double down at that point. I yeah. was like, I
3: had a good day to this point. We're not. I, I had hit two first basket bets. I was rolling. wow. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not tempting fate. We'll just see where this plays out. And,
2: and the Nuggets, the they result. go on a 12-0 run to Get it to overtime, like you said, Jokic. He only made one of two free throws at the end. If he makes both, it's very well a sweep, you know, and and you win your bet. Ah, that makes me sick right there. Who were the two first basket props that you? So
3: I did outright Demontis Sabonis, just him. Uh, I was looking for a value. I think he was plus plus. He was plus 550. He was the third favorite to get the first basket behind Steph and Clay. Uh-huh. And I thought, all right, Kings win the tip. Maybe you get a little pick and roll action or a post feed to Sabonis and they score. That's what happened there. <laughs> and then Hawks Celtics, I ended up sprinkling it a bit. So I played four guys in the interest of transparency, but one of them that was plus uh, 750 was DeAndre Hunter. And Ooh. he gets a corner three because Trey Young tried to go Left wing and got shut down with three on the shot clock and threw it in the corner and then drills a three pointer. Oh, so that was, that this is was very beautiful. nice. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. That
2: is lovely yeah. right there. Yeah. You can, man, Jay Cook going back to the well on the first scorer prop bet. It, it's, <laughs> but, a,
3: it, it's, a, it's a classic, often overlooked at times, <laughs> but it is a classic throw, ride, no doubt. <laughs>
2: I'll keep my eye on that tonight. All right, let's get into the picks. Let's do that. The Jay Cook plays of the day.
4: This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my. F- way. This is how
6: I will.
3: Today's plays of the day starting first with the NBA. We're going to take Anthony Davis over 23 and a half total points tonight as the Lakers host the Grizzlies. Also going to take, he's back, Giannis Antetokounmpo over 26 and a half total points tonight against the Miami Heat. Going back to the well one more time. Uh-huh. Over 27 and a half total points <laughs> for LeBron James. <laughs> I'm willing to get burned again. Baseball time. Astros on the money line plus 135. Over five and a half total strikeouts for former Yankee, current Cardinal, Jordan Montgomery.
2: Wow, that is a random pick right there. It was. Jordan Montgomery. It was. it was. So I was on the Are mound. Are they going against, they got the Rays today, don't they? Giants. Giants for the Cardinals. Giants? Yep. Oh, yep. okay. I'm sorry. For some reason, I heard you say.
3: I did say Astros over Rays right before that, trying to oh, swoosh it okay. all together. Was... So that's probably how that happened. But yes, there you go.
2: Also, sorry, Eddie. Holy cow, you got picks going like crazy over here. Okay, go ahead. Also, sorry, Eddie. Lay the four by the hook.
3: Lay the four Lakers tonight against the Grizzlies.
2: Oh, I hate that pick. I, I hate it, too. I hate I love the Grizzlies to win tonight. Okay. I, I do think too. they're evening the series. You like it, Eddie? I do, too. Yeah, I love Memphis tonight. My two bets, Memphis, money line. Also, Memphis over 108 and a half, their team total. I'll give you a couple of reasons why. Desperate time for the Memphis Grizzlies, down 2-1 in the series. Also, the Lakers, they defended at a high level most of the game in Game 3. But you only get one day off, yeah. and there was a lot of defensive slippage toward the end. Think about that. They allowed nine first-quarter points against Memphis. <laughs> Insanity. And John Moran is scoring 22 straight points in the fourth <laughs> quarter. While they have a 33-point fourth quarter, yeah, I like the Grizzlies' offense to wake up in a major way tonight. It'll make for thrilling television. There's no doubt about that. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Eddie, that's what you got? You're on the Grizzlies tonight, bud? I'm on the Grizzlies tonight. I like the Grizzlies. Uh, and then I kind of like uh, the Rays
3: against
4: the Astros. I'm not going to play that one. I'm
3: Wait not a going is against that, is that a fade uh. Jay Cook <laughs> selection?
2: No, I'm, like I'm not going don't against like it. it. I'm not going <laughs> <It's>, against it. <laughs> I like that you're, you just throw it in the universe, but you're not going to bet it. I like no, that right I, there. I
0: can't pull the trigger.
2: Hey, man, I don't I don't blame you. All right. JMV coming up top of the hour. Enjoy it. We'll catch you soon. Have a good day.